Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of The Occasionalist. Matt Pagel here once again with Adam Chemalewski. Chema, how you doing today, my man? Doing great, dude. I'm fucking going to two concerts in a row between Thursday and Friday. I'm going to see The Hold Steady. I'm going to see Pavement. One of these shows has been canceled twice because of the pandemic. It's So it's finally here. I'm fucking happy. I'm fired up. I got PTO. I'm ready to do this, dude. Let's do it. Excellent, excellent. We're not talking about either of those bands today. However, um, <clears throat> instead we are starting off September strong. Excuse me, one second. Sorry, we are starting off September strong with a with um, another one another one of my choice months um, in our ongoing year of of uh, our ongoing year of themed months. Um, we are starting off September strong with a dive into the nineteen eighties. Um, now before we get there, I would like to just circle back real quickly to our, to our last month's episode, uh, where we went uh, beyond borders with TV music and uh, movies. And Mm -hmm. I I gotta say, Chema, like, I'm, I I don't know how we necessarily re, I don't know, I'd say re, I don't know, recapture that month, but I really hope we figure out a way to do some more foreign stuff next year because that was a really, really fun month upon hindsight. Oh, dude, that was a really fucking fun month. Like I said, I watched Train to Bastan like immediately after we started recording and everything. And I have um, like, you know, kind of like a list of stuff, you know, between the things that we talked about to check out. And I mean, there's some of these directors we talked about have shit coming out here soon. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm very excited about it. And it's just some of these things are just it's fucking cool dude some of these concepts are just so unique and everything and so like culturally specific that they just make them weird quirky and awesomely different yep yep it was it was definitely a lot of fun so i'm I'm really pumped that uh i'm really pumped that we we go from that month to uh to the one that we're about ready to do because i have a feeling we're gonna have some we're gonna have some really interesting discussions around this one as we transition into the 1980s and I, before we get to you know the actual outline, I, I really felt like it was important that we talk about the 1980s sooner rather than later. You know, mm-hmm. we always kind of skirt around it or whatever. We're, we're talking about like movies that we like, stuff that we grew up with. But like, I really kind of felt like it, would, it was important to address this as soon as possible because we are rapidly running out of the 1980s. Like, we're <laughs> almost in, in terms of pop culture, we are almost done with it. Um, obviously, you know, there's, you know, there's always going to be 80s stuff in the same way. There's always going to be 70s stuff and 60s stuff, et cetera, et cetera. But the way that the 80s has sort of enjoyed this sort of, um, this last like about five or six years in the limelight and, you know, pop culture of the 1980s kind of coming back in the limelight, it's almost over. Like we're almost done with it. Oh yeah. Just like zombies and everything. I mean, we are pretty much going to be working through this trend here pretty soon and stuff. And like, it's been a wild ride. It really, really has. And dude, you make a good point. Like they'll be doing 1980 stuff until, until the, the sun comes up 20 years from now, mm-hmm. you know, maybe even beyond. But in terms of like it being really, really hot, like you can kind of feel it cooling off. Yep. You really can. And like, it's weird because I, I feel like by just my own personal opinion is that like str- stranger things, at least in terms of the last, like, you know, uh, since 2016 and forward has been largely responsible for this, you know, and the whole trend has carried pretty solidly through then. And even with this past season of stranger things being as good as it was, I could still feel us coming to the end of this. And I, and I guarantee you that when I go to the grocery store after this, like I'll turn on the radio, 
I will probably hear running up that hill and everything like it actually is in the 1980s, like today. But I still like in general, I, I almost feel like Stranger Things might be the last solid gasp of like um, of 80s nostalgia whenever that final season comes out. Yeah, very true. However, it is not the first, Chummy, you were wrong there. Um, it did not start this wave at all. In fact, it was a little bit late to the party. Um, but we'll get to that. So let's get to let's get to the lightning round question though. Um, <clears throat> I'm sure we'll get more into um, more into the, the de- well, obviously we're gonna get more into the decade as a whole here. But just to start off, little lightning round question: What 1980s celebrity would thrive in today's pop culture environment, and why? Oh, dude, I gotta tell you, like had he not passed away in 1984, I think Andy Kaufman would be would be huge today. Now, hmm. not like mega super awesome conglomerate of comedy like Kevin Hart or whatever huge, but he's going to have a pretty solid career because his style of comedy and everything. Like I just feel that alt comedy is a little bit more accepted today. And some of these stunts that he would have pulled, like whether it be the wrestling thing or uh, even like the one TV show that they did where like, you know, they were kind of messing around with the audience, like via the TV, Mm -hmm. that stuff would get hailed as genius today like there are just people in the way that like whenever i read like reviews about comedy or these stand-up specials on netflix and stuff it's basically all the exact same thing over and over again in terms of even some of these specials are the same thing but the reviews there are people out there that i think would salivate over this i mean there's just more of a market for alternative style comedy these days so i feel that like had he not passed away the rest of the world would have like caught up to what he was doing, kind of like the way people who caught up with the rest of development, you know, after it was canceled and stuff. And now how pretty much most successful comedies are modeled after Arrested development. We would have had a similar thing and he would have ended up being like a very, very big name act for that particular style. That is a really interesting choice. And I, I, I guess I always, I think of it as more, more being like a seventies act, but yeah. Um, you know what he's only like 36 37 when he died something like that yeah he was um, a younger guy when he died definitely and like some of the 70s stuff like he got on taxi he was that would would have been like the 78 the last two years of that all the wrestling stuff was in the 80s so i mean he was really coming into his at least coming into the most popular he'd ever been in the 80s and then unfortunately passed away yeah yeah exactly um yeah so i kind of forget that's a really good point too because he really was not not that you and i were present to like necessarily make this proclamation but like as fans of comedy and as fans of like um you know just of hollywood lore in general um the you know you the, the kind of resounding um opinion about andy kaufman is that he was way 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 ahead of his time that right. like it, it just it, it was you know, like you can recognize comedic genius, but it just wasn't like it didn't like have a home. It didn't have a home outside of like sort of like a curio at that point in time yeah. during his time. But like one hundred percent, he feels like a more modern performer that was just thirty years out of place. That's dude, you got that right. Like just some of the stunts and everything. It, it just seems like stuff you wouldn't do in the eighties. Like it seems like people in comedy in the eighties was still like, Hey, take my wife, please. And then like you had George Carlin and some of these up and, co- you know, some of these people that were up and comers back then that were, are now legends of the business. I, something like his routine, people would have eventually figured it out and been like, Oh, okay. This is, this is pretty fucking solid. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
Very excellent choice. I, I love it. I can't can't disagree with it. I agree with that. So full, you know, full throat there. Like love love it. Great choice. Um, so Andy Kaufman and I I went in a in a very a different route here. I went with an athlete, and mm-hmm. and it's you know he's still around now, but obviously had his biggest heyday in, in the late '80s. Bo Jackson um, <laughs> would be one of the if not the biggest athlete on the planet. You know, outside yeah. of like your you know, your typical Ronaldo's and your international soccer players. Um, Mm -hmm. He certainly would be, he'd be bigger than Tom Brady. He'd be bigger than LeBron. Um, You're talking about the rare athlete that was so dominating um, at basically everything that he touched. He was so dominating at, but still very personable. Um, He has such an easy name that rolls off the tongue, Bo Jackson, Um, Mm -hmm. playing at the time in the two big, you know, at the time played in the two biggest sports, dominated in both of them, you know, less in baseball, but certainly dominated in football. And how easy would how easy would hashtag Bo knows be as a social in a social media age? I mean, like, how easy would that be for every single fucking video, meme, everything? Bo knows yeah. was a hashtag before they even fucking knew what hashtags were. I remember saying Bo knows to just about like everything growing up and stuff like that, and that, and that was just us as kids, and mm-hmm. I couldn't even imagine what his impact would have been like with social media and stuff. And in terms of him as like an athlete, like you know how I mean, I'm sure like if you and I really dove into it, we can come up with a solid list. But like there are athletes that like yeah are awesome and we're awesome athletes, but like may not necessarily transcend into like the, the modern game and everything like that, whether it be like they're, they were too big or I, maybe they just didn't play defense or they mm-hmm. weren't hard nosed, whatever, whatever it might be. But he, no joke, had the body, had the athleticism. And this dude would have been a thing in any era that he played in and stuff, you know, I mean, just what a fucking, what an athlete, dude! Like that's just a fucking whole level, a whole different level of athlete that just doesn't exist all that much anymore. Mm-hmm. And he has, and he has so many of. He's almost like I remember years ago reading an article. Uh, the camera is in Sports Illustrator, or maybe it's ESPN, the magazine. Back when they, you know, they actually had a magazine. Um, I remember reading an article that sort of, kind of, equated him more like less of an of an athlete and more like a more like a Paul Bunyan type character mm-hmm. like more of a a legend you know like yeah. he, he has these stories growing up like when he was a kid um you know where i think he's from alabama i think he's from alabama i mean i know he played at auburn but i think he's from alabama as well like as a kid growing up in alabama in the 60s um you know playing with his friends he would like they would like you know they'd like throw rocks and shit at each other to fool around and like he would throw rocks and like accidentally hit animals and kill them. Um, and you know, like, and then did you hear like the stories about like when he was being scouted by the, the Yankees and the Royals, how like, you know, in a, in a cage session, like he hit a, he hit a, like a, basically a, a hard pop-up that hit the top of the, of the batting cage and like collapsed, like all the fencing. And like, you just hear stories like that. And I'm like, this is the kind of shit that would like, people would want to see Bo train on, so, mm-hmm. on Instagram, right? They would, Hit like one video of him just hitting in the cage would draw like a million people on Instagram, like instantly. Oh, definitely, dude. And all these crazy ass training videos that people do anyway, like having a name like Bo Jackson do it, like these things would be on House of Highlights. They, they would devote entire sports center segments to this kind of stuff. Sports science episodes would cover Bo Jackson and everything. I mean, this guy would be like a, a, a phenomenon, like somebody who's 
more than just a player. Yep, yep. So there you go. Bo Jackson and Andy Kaufman. I think those are two... Those are two excellent choices by us, but I'm, I'm patting us both on the back because I think those are two excellent choices by us. Doing it right now. Yeah, you bet. <laughs> perfect, perfect. All right, so we're going to get into a little bit further into this, and obviously we're going to discuss all things 1980s pop culture. Uh, this is definitely more of a warm-up episode. Uh, we're not going to get super deep into some of this stuff. I'm sure... I'm sure some of this stuff will have a, um, you know, we'll have a more thought thought up discussion in some parts than other others, but we're not like, you know, don't worry about getting too deep into like to to all this stuff. So this is our warm up episode. We're going to save some deeper thoughts for the episodes going forward. So we're going to cover. We're going to start off with a section called the 1980s now, and just sort of a. Um, I'm going to cover sort of the the four main places that we would notice 1980s pop culture coming back, um, and there's a reason I put them in this order, and I'll get to it in a second. Um, we're going to talk about fashion, music, TV, and movies, um, and we're we're going to sort of talk about how the you know the the areas in those four realms of pop culture where we kind of first noticed the uh, the 1980s kind of taking back over. So, um, and here's the reason why I put them in this order: agree or disagree with this thought, Chema. I feel like this is the order in which you'll notice things first. Um, fashion and music Ooh. being the two fastest. To sort of um, just sort of adapt, um, you know, obviously the 1980s style and the 1980s sound, and I say mm-hmm. that because you know music is, um, you know, we think about fashion. Obviously, there's a lot of people doing a lot of different fashion stuff. Retro stuff is always kind of coming. Even 70s stuff is still picking up here and there. Um, so there's just like a little bit more opportunity for it. Music, there's so many different producers experimenting with different sounds that you're bound to have something be it from the 1970s or from the 1980s, kind of bounce up at some point in time. Mm-hmm. And then I think TV and movies are the slowest simply because they have to respond to trends. And we all know, like, sometimes a TV show or movie can sit in production for two years before oh, yeah. it finally, like, you know, before we finally see it on our screens. So just by nature, they are, you know, a few years slower responding to things. Oh, definitely. Now explaining it, yeah, I completely understand. Like, you're right. Fashion and music are by far and away the fastest. And TV and movies and stuff like that, you're right. They have to respond to trends. There are times where, like, a project may get bought, but it's, I don't know, the trend changes midway through Mm pre-production, and they have to make adjustments and stuff. So, yes, totally. And, like, fashion has to be the easily the, the first one and the fastest one because you and I have been in and out of so many goddamn resurgences throughout the course of our lives. It's yep. not even funny. And there yeah. are some things in there that I'm very happy have not come back. <laughs> oh, for sure. For sure. Even though, it, it, believe me, they'll try, they're going to try things like snap bracelets again in the future, but um, yeah. <laughs> does it, but it does not really matter if those things come back or not. But, and especially like fashion, that's one of those things you will just notice right away. Mm-hmm. When, you know, you're, you're out in the gym or something and suddenly someone wear do you see a lot of people wearing old school kind of Adidas high tops? It's something you notice before like a movie comes out necessarily. So definitely. Um, so let's, let's start there. Let's start with fashion. When did, what was like the most, like, I don't know if you could put an exact date on it, that'd be interesting. But like, what was the thing that you noticed? Um, like the, was the most noticeable thing about like fashion wise that you saw coming back that was like, okay, the eighties, they're definitely back now. Okay, so this would have been, this is definitely a while ago, and it's the stupidest thing, but like when ripped jeans started to make a comeback, and this would have been in the aughts, like maybe midway through the 2000s or so, because like when we were 
like in the nineties or whatever, like you had Wayne's world and everything like ripped jeans were kind of there. They were definitely a a carryover from the eighties for sure. And then like when you and I were in high school, if that wasn't really the thing, like you were, Mm -hmm. it was either more like, um, honestly, just to, to draw the general as possible, um, you know, uh, two different things would be like you had your Abercrombie jeans, which were, you know, made to look like as flawless as possible, or you were wearing like these like Jinkos and more like skater type jeans, which, which weren't ripped at that point in time. Mm -hmm. But then as fashion started to like take a turn and like, we even had this little stint in the, probably the mid it's like 2000, 01, 02, 03, like the seventies were starting to make a comeback. And then like, after that, I noticed ripped jeans and tattered jeans, like things that uh, making it look like the jeans were like 500 years old, even though you just bought them, that was coming back in a big way. And that was like the first time that I really noticed any types of eighties fashion kind of working its way back into what was then the, the, the present day pop culture. I got you. I got you. Yeah. That's, that's a, that's a pretty interesting one. I think definitely one that never 100% went away. It, it's, it's, it's one of those things I guarantee you five years from now, that's going to be a thing again. Um, it's just that, 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 I don't know what it is. That thing feels, that feels like it's on a much shorter cycle than some of the other, um, some of the other stuff that like has popped up, but very good call um, because it's interesting because like I, I um, in addition to sort of the ripped jeans thing, it was like the late aughts. So like probably 09, 08, 09 and we're like into 10 where mm-hmm. at least I noticed that neon and fluorescent in much more so less in trim and more in like like a, you'll have a whole shirt that's like yeah. a neon yellow or neon orange or something like that, that I just saw that peaking like out like a, a little bit more. Than, than previously. And and then sometime following that, I noticed that we, we had... So you had that a little bit more uh, frequently. And I noticed a lot more... Um, since like, this is like also the beginning of like the athleisure wear boom. That right. a lot of the athleisure wear stuff, neon. But also you began to get like the huge printed logos on stuff. Like the yeah. giant Nike logos and Nike script. The giant Adidas script on stuff about that same time. That is very much a product of like the very middle part of the 1980s really started to pop up again. Yeah. You know, I'm glad that um, you went with the neon thing because I was for, I was trying to pinpoint exactly when I noticed this too, because that's for some reason neon, that was immediately what I had gone to. And for me, you're in, you're definitely in the right ballpark. I, I, it might've been like a little bit later for me personally, because I, I basically am putting everything on this appearance of uh, Julian Casablancas from the strokes. And when the strokes kind of made their comeback in like 2010, 2011, and he had, updated his style a little bit from the um the leather jackets and all that what we saw like in the like 2003 like 2001 mm-hmm. and, and those years and so and also when you li- when you would listen to the strokes album that came out at this time this album angles there were definitely more 80s infused style sounds in this album so yeah that's right about the time that i started to take notice of the, the neon stuff as well and like the the big the big names on the shirts, like, Oh Jesus Christ. It was almost like, yeah, like one company's doing it. Let's all fucking do it. Mm-hmm. It felt like we were living in uh it felt like we were living in the eighties when like you used to see stuff that was polo really big or like yep. the Tommy Hilfiger flag really huge on stuff, you know? So that's, I, I feel that you're, you're right. You're 
pretty much in line with my time period on that one. I feel like I feel like I remember um, in particular. There's, I want to say it was like Ralph Lauren had like a had like a jacket, like a zip up jacket um, mm-hmm. that looks like something that they literally just dusted off from <laughs> like 1986, and it was I, like. I think it's Ralph Lauren, but I'm sure I could find this if I look for it. We're like, see if you remember like what I'm th- what I'm talking about. Where it's like sort of like a two toned. So like the top would be like white or a lighter color, and the bottom would be like blue or black or something. And like yeah. the, the top like third or or so um, would have like Ralph Lauren in giant fucking letters across the entire top, like chest, and it would even like go into the arms and stuff. Oh yeah, dude, I know exactly what you mean. They at the fucking like Venice Boardwalk and on Hollywood Boulevard and stuff, they sell all these like knockoff like t-shirts and stuff that still have those kinds of designs on it. Oh yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. So yeah, so I think I think like I said, I think fashion is sort of first. Um, you know, it just it, it's one of those things that just sort of crops up first. And I think it, it that kind of bears out with our timeline here. We're talking, you know, pro- you know, possibly at the earliest like 05, 06. Um, and certainly by the time 2010, 11, 12 hits, like we're we're very we're very fully into um, the beginnings of like a 1980s fashion resurgence by that point in time. Um, and there's some there's some other stuff I already mentioned, like sort of like high tops, you know, high top sneakers becoming more popular. But it's one of those things that, again, sort of like um, ripped jeans never really completely went away, just less popular. Right. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like the high top thing, like it seems like it um, existed only in like the skateboarding community for a while. Like you had the bands were making the high tops and selling them pretty solidly. And and then once like um, once people like kind of copy the skating community, it seems like it takes off even more so from then anyway. Well, I would say basketball, but um, with the Jordans and everything else. Oh, yeah. Like huge power for like 40 years. Oh yeah, this 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 do those high tops? I thought most of the new Jordans now looked like pretty much every other shoe. Oh dude, come on man, you're not. Yeah, you, you got to get. Believe me, um, Jordan did was doing high top sneakers before Vans even thought about it. So yeah, oh yeah, I knew that from the '80s and stuff. But like as a kid growing up, like um, the Jordan shoes, they, they weren't high, they weren't like the high tops like the old school Jordans or like the. Oh Vans yeah, they are. They, like, they've never not been. Oh really? Yeah. Okay, yeah. For some reason, I thought the Jordans looked a little bit more like regular shoes because oh, no. I remembered be, being in Euclid and stuff, and they just had to look like regular basketball shoes. Oh no, no, no. They're they're high tops. Gotcha, gotcha. Chubby, you just got a whole bunch of sneakerheads really mad at you. Yeah, I, no, I totally believe that. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> so how about uh, how about musically? When was that? Like when you first noticed it? Because I, I so think this... I'm just I, I'm actually very curious to see if you noticed it in the same place I did. I have a feeling we're gonna. I have a feeling we're going to have a very similar answer. So for me, I, um, this is when I first started like listening to this kind of music was in the, it was probably like right around the time, actually, you just said this would have been like, Oh, nine to 2011 was when I first started noticing a resurgence in 80 style music. Um, this would have been like around the time cut copy. I found out about them and this whole, like, um, the deep voice post-punk kind of sound that I like primarily associated with the eighties and stuff. Like there might be the darkness with, I believe in a thing called love in like 2003 or whatever, but that wasn't enough to like mark a, um, it wasn't enough for me to say like, Oh my God, this sound is coming back. But Mm -hmm. once the more popular, like post-punky sounds started to get 
recognition here in the States because cost copies from Australia. There's this other band called the horrors that came out around the release album called luminous around that time or skying, I think was, but, um, so right around that, like 2010 to 2011 period, which was a couple years after the big 2007, 1997 repeating itself where there was just everything out there. This was right around the time where things started to cool down a little bit. And, um, and then, like, you know, kind of become more of a resurgence of the 80s. Yeah, I, so, you're, yeah, you and I are going to hit on something very similar here. Despite this, like, the retrowave stuff that we've talked about, and, like, I, you know, I've been listening to for a while, it's not where I first noticed it. It is sort of in, um, you know, like this, it is in sort of this sort of, um, uh, what would you call cut copy? Like a, sort of an alt synth band? Yeah, like alternative dance music, I guess. That's this this very kind of very particular sort of band that pops up around this point in time that they're definitely, you know, you definitely would hear them on an, on an alternative rock station, but certainly they're about as far away from rock as you can kind of get if if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like it's I, I it's hard to just, I, I know I'm not going to describe this well, but like I don't like think of them as necessarily being rock bands and they're so, they sound really borrowed um, and kind of did some interesting stuff with like sort of second wave alt rock bands from like the early eighties, um, early to mid eighties. It was kind of, they repeat, they were repeating that sound in a very poppy sort of way. And mm-hmm. cut copies are really good, but I know I'm forgetting some other ones here. And there's some other bands that sort of carried on like a, a similar sound a little bit later, like neon Indian. Um, uh, I know I'm forgetting another band in, at this point in time, but like it, it, it is, I did notice it in this sort of, um, this version of alt rock around the same point in time yeah oh it was it was definitely making its major resurgence around this time and like we just to kind of summarize some prior conversations that we had like there wasn't really okay like in terms of like longevity and stuff like that i mean there's only really a small group of bands that have been big for a long time, like even, even today. And I'm not like from our generation, let's not include mm-hmm. like the class, the classic rock stuff. But like, if you're talking like Pearl Jam, Radiohead, Foo Fighters, stuff like that, I mean, there's a very small limited amount of those bands. And like in the two thousands and especially after 97, when like you had all of that going on. And I mean, there have been bands that had broken up in, in between 97 and 2007, but like, I feel that 2007 is this other like kind of watermark year where there were a bunch of different styles. There, there also like, weren't a lot of like huge bands, like, you know, kind of just still clinging on, you know, there's just, it was just all lost and the, the industry was changing with the, the digital stuff. So we didn't really have a huge like front runner torch carrier. Oh my God, this is like the big band and the biggest band in the world that kind of fluctuated, mm-hmm. you know, between killers, Kings of Leon or whatever it might be. And in the industry's um, number one, like in their desire to find the next hottest thing in their desire to just keep on putting out bands, keep putting out content. And then to also deal with this, the, the festival monster that they were sort of in the, the prime of dealing with in like the 2010s to 2012, which I consider to be the height of the, the, the festival season, like the modern wave of the festival season, there were just a lot of different sounds coming out. And a lot of this 80s stuff, this is 
around that time period when it really started to hit. Like, I don't really consider to be the killer so much of an 80s throwback. Like, yes, they are a synth band, but it's not 80s enough for me. Mm-hmm. And and since um, the killers have come out, I mean, there's there's been a number of different examples of bands that either sound like The Cure or The Smiths or whatever. As long as they got a deep voice, it's almost like I associate them yeah. with being somewhat oh, 80s. For sure, for sure. But, it, yeah, Chumma, you're, you're you're dead on. Like, it's... It's it sort of, I guess, like that was, and, and again, the, the way that a lot of music works, um, it's it's gonna it's gonna ripple and sort of bubble up with the lesser known acts first every single time. The lesser known acts are gonna have, and not that yeah. like, not that not that these are necessarily lesser known acts, but they're we're not talking the giant pop stars that mm-hmm. you know can that go on a whim headline Coachella and like go do whatever they want to whenever they want to. Um, but it's always gonna bubble up there first before their producers go. Hey, this band is doing some interesting shit. Let's find out like what they're doing and how I can do it as well. And then, then that's when you have the weekend producing a full album that sounds like it's from 1987. Right, exactly. This is how Kanye comes out with um, with Jesus, and it's yep. all of a sudden a Death Grips album and stuff mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, yeah, you bet. That's where they get all this stuff. And you might even notice like um, examples of when these artists and people like these producers are just discovering every now and then some of them like might end up on like a kid Cudi does a song with like St. Vincent and stuff like that. So they Mm -hmm. might end up on the album in some, at least like the producers, like throwing them some cred, but nowhere, anywhere in the easiest liner notes did I see. Thank you very much. Death grips for making this style of music for me to just easily rip it off. (laughs) Right. There's, there was a really interesting, um, I mean, it's not surprising, but an interesting story about some of the bands that um, that Bruno Mars has has had his reps contact over the years about basically just using their songs. And, you know, when they generally politely tell him to go fuck off, he just (laughs) takes their music anyway. And there's like especially when 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 was his big year? Is it 2015 or 2016? It's been a minute. Like, I want to say it's somewhere around okay. that time. Yeah. Yeah. There is, like, I remember, I remember very specifically someone, like, put together this, um, this YouTube video. And I'll, I'll try to find it later. Um, someone clipped together this YouTube video of all of the, where, like, he's borrowing all the sounds for, like, his most popular songs from. And it's mm-hmm. all of these sort of lesser known kind of alt rock synth bands from a few years earlier that were making this, basically making the same sounds he was. And he was just like, oh, I like that. I'm going to take it and do it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah. And I mean, these kinds of bands get all the critical acclaim in the world. I mean, they don't sell or play to big houses, but it's like the Velvet Underground thing. It's like, you know, they don't sell a lot of records, but those they're but they're influential. They mm-hmm. may be landmark albums that spark subgenres and stuff like that. So, I mean, these producers are well aware of like what is out there and stuff. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Like, And for Bruno Mars to... Um, you know, like just to, to do what he's doing, he's clearly making a success off of it. And this is going to be a model that's going to be followed for a very long time because there are no signs of new bands stopping anytime soon. I can tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that model's been around forever. It's just, it just so happens that it was finally a black guy taking um, from, a, you know, or should, I think he's black and like Latin or Asian or something like that. Right. Bruno. He's he like, is multi multiracial, I think. Um, it just so happened it was a multiracial person taking from white people for the first time mm-hmm. ever. Right, that's right. And as we've learned from Elvis, the movie, and other movies and stuff, um, there have been a million examples of white people stealing from yeah. African Americans. Yes. <laughs> All right, so let's move into TV here. This is—I'm surprised, Chama, that you didn't notice this 
prior to Stranger Things because um, they were certainly not the first. And obviously, you can go like I said, you can always find like something that took place in the 1980s at some point in time. Um, I mean, Freaks and Geeks takes place in the 1980s, but I don't I, like it's 20. That was 20 years ago, and. I don't think that that would... I don't think you would qualify that as being some sort of, like, beginning point for any kind of meaningful resurgence in 1980s, you know, 1980s TV, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I, it just... It just... It, it isn't, basically. Um, but um, I'm surprised... I'll, I'll start it off here, because I'm surprised that you skipped past The Americans and The Goldbergs, both premiered in 2013. Um, both are... The Goldbergs is still on. And The Americans is... The Americans really is sort of the starting point for, especially like a lot of a lot of more prestige shows, opting to to jump back into the 1980s to explore Cold War stuff, to explore, uh, you know, to explore some drama stuff, and I'll, I'll get into the why for for this in a little bit here. But The Americans is like the starting point. Hmm. Yeah. No, I could definitely see that for sure. I. With the Americans, I, I've heard it's good. I'm sure it is good and stuff. It was one of these shows. Got a lot that, of Emmy like, wins. Yeah, it, it definitely does. That's for sure. But like I, at the time, I, I just really wasn't interested in it because I know in the time period is fascinating. Okay, like I will. I'm not going to deny the fascination of the Cold War and all the kind of stuff behind the scenes and even like the the in general premise of the show of these Russian spies in America was. Awesome. Like, that's such a cool-ass, unique concept. However, it was one of these deals where, like, yeah, like, you know, there's, I don't know, we, there wasn't really any, like, it's, the Cold War is just like this veritable kind of size measuring contest between two nations and weapons stockpiling. And, and then there's a lot of other kind of things that came out of it. But I just particularly wasn't interested in it for some reason. Like it just, it didn't have enough to like hook me, you know, I I don't necessarily know what it could have had to really hook me in on it, but I watched like a season of it. And I think maybe I cut the cord somewhere. If it was 2013, I would have cut the cord right around that point in time. So from whatever it was like season two on, I just, it was like, it was just kind of got lost in the shuffle for me. And since Hulu didn't start picking up, FX programming until recently, it was just like, do I really want to go back over this? I'm like, I don't, I just don't know if I have the strength. Oh, right. That's not what I mean. I just mean that's the starting point of the 1980s resurgence in TV. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, I can definitely see that. Yeah, the Goldbergs is something I've been aware of, but I've, I've never watched it, to be honest with you. It's hysterical. It's like hysterical. Uh, Jeff Garland and Wendy, uh, Wendy Clendon McCovey are fucking hysterical. They're awesome. I do Jeff Garland's I love Jeff Garland. So this is definitely one of those ones that just cultural blinders, the fact that it's ABC, like there's, I don't know, there's a couple, whenever I hear something's on ABC, I usually have to kind of like do research or wait for somebody else to kind of recommend it to me. And that Goldberg's recommendation never came. (laughs) I got you. Well, yeah, no, I've told you to watch it before. Oh really? Yeah. Yeah. Might it just once again be one of those things where it's like, yeah, just there's a lot there to absorb. So just kind of became more overwhelmed by all this content that I'm just like, all right, forget it. I'll catch it maybe later in reruns. Uh, Gotcha. Gotcha. All right. So Chema apparently does not know these shows exist. So when did you first notice it? So like, yeah, I mean, honestly, like it would have been, it either would have been stranger things. Like I think just that in general or yeah, probably stranger things. If we're talking some of these, 
like concepts of like 80s television, like ALF and the aliens. I mean, we never really like kind of abandoned some of the crazier concepts for television shows. But in terms of these like shows being taking place in the 80s, I guess for me, it would have been Stranger Things. So that I actually consistently watch something. Didn't you watch Halt and Catch Fire? Like, God, I watched uh, the first like few episodes and this would have been in 2017 after uh the 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 showrunners were um speakers at the toronto screenwriting conference that jess and i went to so i went like maybe a few episodes on that show and as for as much as a Mackenzie davis fan as i am i was just like i was like yeah this is interesting but once again it was on amc so i didn't have the ability to watch it consistently Okay, gotcha. I was going to say, because that predates um, Stranger Things as well. Um, I yeah. don't know why I thought you watched that show. but All right, so I, maybe we should just skip TV um, altogether. <laughs> yeah, and like, I, there's like just some of the things on there. Like I'm, I'm aware of the shows. I just I did not watch them. And Hold and Catch Fire was an early Netflix kind of. They had like the shows on Netflix and stuff all the seasons. Like they, they, they used to have showtime shows and hbo shows a little more consistently and that or amc shows more consistently and uh that was one that just kind of it just kind of came and, and went for me or whatever i i know that it's like about like silicon prairie and like you know computers in texas and all that kind of stuff but there was just something about it that i was like yeah like i, I just just kind of passed on that one gotcha all right let's move on to movies then because uh, this is going nowhere um, so when did you notice, when, when did you notice like the, the trend popping up in movies? Okay. So for me, this would have been around, around cord cutting time for me. And like, I know that some of the crazier eighties movies concepts have carried over like a demolition man just has idea from the eighties, like written all over, even though it was made in 93. Um, so like when I started to notice like this resurgence of just like crazy premised movies, this would have been around the time that I started diving into streaming because with the streaming services, there were just all these movies that we would have never had access to. They weren't in the theater near you. This would have been stuff like you and I really had to like work to see. And this is all the stuff that you see basically beyond the fifth movie you've heard of when you're scrolling on Netflix and Amazon. So, and a lot of these movies were, you know, either newer, they had just come out like, um, it just really out there, ridiculous premises and stuff. And so, yeah, I would probably say around, like in the 2014, give or take a couple of years is when I started to at least like pay attention to this because I just noticed there were all these crazy as hell premised movies out there that I had no idea that they existed because they weren't in the theaters. And this this would this time would have been around the time that I noticed that this the ridiculousness of 80s movies and how plentiful they were in the streaming world. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, so, like I said, I think. Um... I, movies are a little bit slower um, to sort of react to this sort of trend. Um, but from, so it's actually for me, it's a little bit more recent where like I realized that like, okay, this isn't just a trend. This is sort of like what we're going to be doing for a while. And it starts in 2017 for me, at least where in from 2017 to 19, you have it chapter one, I, Tanya, atomic blonde, red sparrow, Mandy and it chapter two as sort of kind of tentpole movies of varying, you know, we have 80s horror, you have 1980s espionage, you have, mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, with uh, Atomic Blonde and, and uh, Red Sparrow, 1980s action, we're bringing back the you know, the Russians as our enemies. 
Um, obviously, we had to change. We had to change it, uh, the timeline of it, because like putting in the fifties doesn't make any sense anymore. Um, right. <laughs> um, and then you know we have like the the biopic for um, I Tiny's got to be one of the f- more it has to be one of the first biopics that or not quite a biopic. I don't know what you want to call it exactly. I mean, it is a biopic, but a heavily heavily fictionized biopic. Um, and it's got to be the first one of of someone who's life principally was covered the 1980s it has to be one of the first ones oh my god now that you put it like that i yeah i can't think of really anything else to be honest with you that um would have been more recent than the 80s biopic wise and i mean and since then the the director writer combo i mean that's like all they do they did pam and tommy they're doing mm-hmm. mike now and everything so they're they're, they're definitely found their niche which is like, good for them but yeah i i gotta say that like yeah, because I remember like when Jess and I went to see it, it was like, wow, you know, it's like, man, can you believe they're making movies about stuff that happened when we were kids and everything and like mm-hmm. stuff that we would would know about, like, you know, kind of have like a little bit more than just, a, oh, yeah, I remember that. Like I was actually, yeah, that, that pretty much sounds about right there. I mean, that has to be the first biopic in the theater that I saw that I can even think of that was anybody a little bit more, I guess, modern in terms of the subject matter. Right. Cause you know, mostly we're covering, you know, we're covering Ray Charles and we're covering Johnny right. Cash and Elvis. Um, so Tanya Harding has got to be, has to be like the most recent of these people. Um, and then, you know, and it's coming like all these, all these eighties figures are, are definitely going to have their, their time in the, in the biopic spotlight soon enough. Um, I, I don't know about you, but I am fucking thrilled and excited for this, um, the faux, the faux Weird Al biopic. Um, oh, yeah. The weird, I think it's just called Weird, uh, the Al Yankovic yep. story. I am fucking thrilled to see this movie. So we we are getting, we are getting sort of these sort of, you know, these, we are going to get these biopics from generally 1980s sort of pop culture figures. They're definitely coming sooner rather than later. Oh, that they are. I I gotta say, I'm excited about that one too. Just what, uh, just Daniel Radcliffe doing this? That you know, it's not going to be one of these movies that I talk about for the rest of my life as if it's the greatest thing in the world. But I happen to respect and love the shit out of Weird Al. Like I, I don't groove along to his music or anything like that. But just as a guy who's stayed relevant for my entire life and mm-hmm. then some like you just can't help but not respect that dude and like daniel radcliffe like you know i he's made some really interesting stuff uh, post harry potter there's oh yeah tv there was this tbs show which was fucking awful but like i mean between af kimbo and uh swiss army man you know like mm-hmm. I, I i kind of trust the post harry potter radcliffe so something like this is it immediately got my attention and the fact that you know, that it's coming out soon on Roku. It's going to be one thing that I go out of my way to watch. For sure. For sure. He, it looks, it looks hilarious. I'm very excited to see what Evan Rachel Wood does with Madonna because like that, mm-hmm. I hope she plays it as big as it possibly can. Like, of course I, I mean, like, I just, I hope it's ludicrous. I just hope it's ludicrous. I hope every celebrity that pops up in this movie is ludicrous. Cause it looks, it's, it's one of those ones. Like, like you said, like I am, I, I never I don't think I'll ever get around to watching anything Harry Potter. Um but I really enjoy Daniel Radcliffe. Like adult Daniel Radcliffe is pretty fucking great. 
Oh yeah, I I think I've maybe seen one of the Harry Potter movies. Like that was years and years and years ago. So this older Daniel Radcliffe stuff, uh, you know, as long as he continues to do weird, quirky shit, of course I'm I'm going to totally be all up for it and everything, you know. And and I'll tell you, like there's um there's a movie that they're kind of developing right now. It's about the replacements, the the band from Minnesota and the from the '80s and everything. Mm -hmm. And like I almost feel that we're getting to this point in time where. If you're going to write a book about a band or it's going to be option, as long as it's not a shitty book, you're going to get something out of it. Like, cause we're just going to be getting biopic after biopic after biopic when we're seeing the success of like Bohemian Rhapsody and Rami Malek winning a freaking Oscar for that performance. And stuff, uh, I mean, that Wikipedia <laughs> turned life performance. Yeah. We're going to be, we're going to be getting way, way more of these and stuff. You know, it's just, um, it's just kind of like the, the, the way the nature of the business is. I mean, green day, yes. Smashing pumpkins. If there's something interesting about the smashing pumpkins, I, I don't really know what would be interesting about them likewise, but um, there's, it's going to happen. You know, they, mm-hmm. they're going to do anything that they can to get people into the theater. And the one thing that'll get people into the theater faster than an actual movie is familiarity. You know, if they're familiar with something, they might be intrigued to go to the theater and check out a movie about it. See, I don't, I don't think these are going to be for the theater though. These are all going to be on streaming. Like, Oh yeah. The weird out one is definitely, yeah. Oh God. I, I mean, like, I can't, Roku's making it. Yeah. Yeah. I, but I mean, I can't imagine that people are going to line up, first day to see the replacements biopic in the theater but yeah if it's available on netflix or prime absolutely yeah that's a good point yeah that's right yeah the the theatrical release on some of the the replacements definitely not a green day one might get a theatrical Uh, depending on how big the band is and stuff yeah but like we're you're going to be looking at a biopic about every fucking band that was successful. Like I'm telling you, they're already casting Eddie Vedder somewhere. I guarantee it. Probably. And you know what though? Like, and I think, I think the success of get back also proved that like, as opposed to maybe a traditional biopic, this sort of, um, the sort of the way Peter Jackson put together all of that Mm -hmm. Beatles footage, um, you know, a documentary, like a limited documentary series might be the way to go for even some of the biggest bands. Yeah, I got to say what he did there while I have not sat down and watched all 14 hours of that documentary, the clips and some of the like interview podcasts and stuff that I've heard with him and he was just on pop culture happy hour within the last like two or three weeks. I am incredibly interested by everything that that guy did. And there's, dude, there's probably footage out there of like the stones, the sex pistols, the clash, like all that stuff that's just sitting in boxes somewhere and almost like waiting, just like, Hey guys, like restore me, do something with me, turn me into something cool, you know? And that, that project um, is, is really cool and unique and stuff like that. And there, it opens the door for a lot more, programming like that in the future yeah for sure for sure and you know and especially especially as we we, as we mentioned before these streaming services need content like i i'm I'm surprised you and i haven't been contacted by someone to to write something um like they need content in the worst way and you're right there's all these bands you know there's just a trove of footage for you know um you know be it the sex pistols be it there's probably mountains of unused prince or, or michael jackson footage that's just sitting someplace oh my god yeah especially because those two like they're the more 
like in the more of a, a more modern of artists and stuff like that. So, I mean, they're going to have more cameras on mm-hmm. them. I mean, there's probably like alternative angles from various performances that for all we know, show the artists that they're, that they're most passionate, you know, there, there's probably all this kinds of stuff out mm-hmm. there. Uh, we have, do you remember, you saw that recently, right? The, the clip of Prince as an 11 year old um, on uh, yes. Minneapolis news station. I did. Yes, yeah. I did. Yes. I saw that. Yes. So, I mean, yeah, there you go. You start from there. <laughs> Yeah, that's the kind of stuff that's really fucking cool. Like, that's honestly, like, I was just, I just thought that was awesome. Like, I know that it's something very, very simple, but when people kind of dig up this stuff from years and years ago, like, somebody found a photo of uh, when Robin Williams passed away, there was this guy that he must have held onto this photo for God knows how long. And it was um, Billy Crystal and Robin Williams, like, miming in Central Park or something like that. Mm-hmm. I had never seen this photo before. And then when Robin Williams died, this photo came out n- not that much longer. And I mean, people have just weird, random stuff like this. It's, it's sitting around, you know, and I guess it, they're just waiting to discover it. Maybe footage is being um, waited to be cleaned up or whatever. But I, there's whatever we don't know about, I guarantee you, is so fucking interesting. Probably, probably. All right, so let's move on to a segment called The 1980s Then. Um, so we're obviously we're going to talk about the 1980s, uh, you know, the decade itself, and we're going to we're not going to worry about the, the kind of the the way it's made a modern resurgence. Um, but for this, for these questions, sort of take out there's there's definitely a reason why behind all this stuff. But take out the idea of like nostalgia and the way um, you know entertainment companies and corporations make nostalgia plays for for us. So just mm-hmm. Ignoring all that, you know, all things being equal here, we're going to go through the set of questions. So what do you think sets the 1980s apart in a significant way from either the 1970s or even the 1990s? Dude, everything just seemed like Texas. Bigger, better, crazier. Well, maybe not necessarily better, but crazier, Mm -hmm. just more in your face, more outlandish. Let's take one thing. Let's make it a fucking corporatized, huge mega structure and stuff. Like everything just seemed to hit like a growth spurt in the 1980s. And I'm not saying that like there weren't big things in the 70s. You know, we had big, large scale movie productions. We had skyscrapers and stuff like that being built. But like the 80s had um, not only did they there was like a wealth boom and stuff until the, the stock market crashed. So there was a lot of wealth coming in. And you had a lot of um, advancements in technology, too. Mm-hmm. So you put together a lot of money and a lot of capability, and you are just going to get the results of that no matter what. I mean, whether you could tell it in the architecture or just uh, or just like going back and watching like some of these like movies and stuff from the 80s, like everything just seemed to be bigger. Mm-hmm. Let's get everybody's attention. Like even like the idea of like the, the huge multiplexes and stuff like that. Like I'm sure that it was something that got started in the seventies. It just blew up to death in the eighties. Like, Hey, let's attach movies to shopping malls, stuff like that. You know, let's get everybody in one area where all they could do is spend, spend, spend and everything. And it's just like, that's the kind of stuff that I feel sets the eighties apart from the seventies and nineties. Cause like the nineties, it really was, it, it just didn't have that, like, let's go big, let's go all out kind of thing. I mean, we started off the 90s with grunge, and then you got Kurt Cobain dying and stuff like that. I mean, there's been an over, 
overabundance of really great and entertaining films and uh, television shows like that from the nineties. But it's just, it just didn't have that go big, go all out. Let's mm-hmm. do the craziest fucking thing we could think of like the eighties did. I think you are hitting on something really significant there that, uh, you know, the, ni- the 1980s gets called the decade of decadence for a reason um, mm-hmm. for the, the amount of disposable income that people had for the first time, you know, not just, not just having it, like the amount of money they could spend on things, um, the different places you could spend your money. Um, it, 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 you know, was a decade previously we'd never really experienced before, um, especially in the United States, um, just a decade we'd never really experienced before. And I'm glad you kind of contrast that with the 90s, because to me, it feels like the 1980s, that is that is the decade of the boomers, right? Like that's that's our parents' decade, um, you know, even to a lesser degree, our, our grandparents' decade, depending on how old they are when they were born. Um, and then it feels like in the 1990s, things, you know, a lot of these mechanisms are already in place to, for, for things being big, big and expensive or whatever. But it feels like there's a conscious effort, especially from the early to mid-90s, for then the Gen Xers to sort of reject all right. of the shit from the 1980s in, in a very in a, in a way that very predictably teenagers rebel against their parents 19 the 1990s is the teenagers rebelling against their 1980s parents oh god dude if you want to talk about the fashion alone look at like your typical 80s movie fashion and what like the uh, the hot popular people wore all the flash all the mm-hmm. colors sequins sparkling and this is just like in high school according to movies and stuff <laughs> right but then but then when you get to like the 90s everything looks like my so-called life. There's more flannel. There's more like, um, if it may, if it's not like one solid color, it's multiple colors that are not flashy. It's almost like, it's almost like fall came in the nineties and then just like never left even in the summertime and stuff. Yeah. Hot hot people in the nineties don't didn't like anything that's like flashy for them might be like jewelry or something. It's not this full ensemble and stuff, you know? So you could definitely tell that, um, at least like in terms of the fashion that the nineties was just like rejecting every single thing about the eighties. It was, it's really, it's one of those weird things. Like it, it, it's almost like people from like 1990 through about like 1996 or 97 was like, how fucking ugly can I make myself look <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like not everyone, oh, yeah. but I, but I think that that was, that sort of permeated pop culture quite a bit. Like how fucking ugly and grungy can I look? And it literally just 10 years prior, not even 10 years prior, it was how hot can I look? How good right. can I look? It, it's like, it's a total fucking coin flip. Like it, it is, it's this weird thing that like, I always like, whenever like I think about like, um, you know, especially actresses that are more or less our age, if mm-hmm. pro- a little bit older at this point, probably more, you know, probably more like late forties, mid forties, if they were like kind of hot to me in the early nineties, then they're probably really fucking hot because they managed to like stand out. Like you said, they managed to like make themselves look good despite wearing like a bland, like gray drab, like oversized mm-hmm. sweatshirt with yeah. like weird sort of bland, like dark jeans. And like, they right. still look good. Like they make themselves look good in trash bags. Oh God, dude, you are so fucking right on that. Like if you were the hottest person in 1991, there's every reason in my mind that you're that you're still absolutely mm-hmm. attractive because you you fought through all that ugly ass fashion trends like yep. penny loafers with the pennies in them being worn underneath jeans with white socks you know what I'm saying like that's, <laughs> it's just like 
if you could survive that, I mean, you could basically like survive anything, you know? And I mean, dude, if we're like, God, let me give you a crazy ass example, like our teachers and stuff. Okay. Like our, we teacher wise, like, you know, there's always like what we see on TV and movies. There's like, Oh my God, there's always the the super, super hot teacher and stuff like that. You know, like we like, I felt we didn't really have that. And even in high school, we maybe had a couple of rare examples of that, but those teachers were just younger and dressing like the, the, the way that they were dressing at the times and at the time and stuff. And dude, like I, when I was working for the schools, um, I worked for the doing like school maintenance in the summer of like 2002 to two, like summer of 2002 when we graduated and everything, Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe 2003. And like, I got to see like some people that like I hadn't seen in a couple of years, like teacher wise that had just completely had makeovers with like the more recent. And I was just like, wow, dude, like you guys look amazing now that you're not carrying over all this nineties fucking fashion and stuff. You're embracing mm-hmm. the modern times. And there were people that, um, that I had ran into that looked like two completely different people, whether it just be like a changing of the hair, anything like that. I mean, there's even people that we went to school with that had these glow ups in the, in the, years after high school because they weren't like carrying over that awful ass nineties fashion, um, which was still kind of a, a hangover in our high school years. Yeah. Oh, you're, you're dead on. You're, you're hundred percent. Right. Um, and also, you know, people just leaving high school, like finding themselves and whatever else, but it, it, it was really important that we got away from, from that nineties fashion. Cause it might've been comfortable, but it was fucking uglier than shit. Oh my God. Yeah. And believe me what I will put up with in terms of discomfort to look okay. Like yeah. I tell, <laughs> tell you. I gotcha. Um, so yeah, so you bring up some really good points there. I'll, I'll just, I'll be quick here. Cause that was, that was a, that was a big chunk of mine too. But since you brought up like the sort of t- the technology thing, I, I really feel like the 1980s is more clearly identifiable as like the beginning of a modern age. Um, and I think it, at the forefront of that is tech. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we are, we're getting our, you know, we're getting CDs. Um, right. So like we, you know, the 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 portability of music is suddenly becoming significantly easier for all of us. And the amount of music that we can carry around with us increases. We're in the late 1980s. We're getting our first cell phones, um, mm-hmm. you know, so like we, we are, um, you know, we're 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 moving our, our communication and our entertainment really are at the forefront of like what technology is at that consumer technology, I should say, um, yeah. are at the forefront of, of that. And then like. You know, like it's it's not just like it's not just that we're having cell phones. It's just like now we're being we're being sold cell phones, right? Like they're like the internet existed in well, the internet's been around since like the nineteen sixties, but it really doesn't take place until like the nineteen nineties where we're like, hey, you can you can pay and pay for the internet and get online if you want to, and mm-hmm. now a lot of these tech things like computers, like you know, they're they're not just computers for like banks. And businesses and um, university research centers and stuff like that. Now it's you can buy one. It's a personal right. computer. Um, you want this cell phone? Pretty interesting, isn't it? You can buy it. Um, so all of these sort of um, these sort of advancements in technology are now much more at hand. And it's you know it's not inconceivable that you know you and probably not you or I, but it wouldn't have been inconceivable for for someone in, you know, say New York or Los Angeles or something to know someone, you know, someone's family who had a cell phone in like 1987. It oh, yeah. wouldn't be that strange for that to have happened. So like, I, you know, so to me, like this is very, very recognizable as sort of like our first 
is the beginning of what we think about as like the modern age really starts in the 1980s and you can apply that to movies tv music it all sort of begins to take a very familiar shape in the 1980s whereas in the 1970s things were a lot looser go back in the 1960s things are almost unrecognizable um technology wise entertainment wise things are almost unrecognizable just 20 years just 20 years earlier and then obviously the 90s it just sort of continues and, and it gets reshaped but i think it all sort of starts in the 1980s oh dude yes with tech all the fucking way. I mean, even the evolution of like your home stereo system, what we know of the home stereo system, while there were prototypes of it in the seventies and stuff. And in the sixties, you had like these huge ass, like record player units, or maybe even like the, the portable ones when they came out. But like when the eighties comes along, this is when like, yeah, like how would you guys like to have all of that stuff and more, you could have your records, you could have your CDs, you could have your tapes all on one big ass surround sound unit and everything. And when you look at these like units and stuff, like my dad used to have one, it was a multi-tiered like box style unit mm. where you had an amp, then there was something for the CD player, there was something for the tapes, and then you mm-hmm. had like maybe like another amp to back up the other one just in case the other one gave out with the record player on the top. Now I have, um, it's not the, the, best record player that we have in the house out of the two that we have but like i have a whole unit that could i could carry in my hand that's like a record player a cd player a tape player and a radio like just all like in one kind of unit that goes on a shelf and stuff you know so the um the early designs and like the early paths for these things were at least as far as us being able to own them humans you because you're right because like there was no way that um like you know, unless like we knew rich people or whatever that uh we would have been able to see a cell phone you mm-hmm. know i mean i remember seeing the the 1980s cell phone in the bag like in the 90s and the, stuff the, like the, car phone. the car phone <laughs> the yeah. car phone yeah that's right so um yeah jesus christ you had to carry that thing around in like a little briefcase and stuff mm-hmm. too so like all of these foundations were were laid in the 80s and stuff like that and since then you know, some of these um, inventions may not have as much practical use as they did back then, but there are some like the cell phone that are only continuing to get better to become more advanced. And sooner or later, they'll be replacing, <laughs> they'll be replacing a lot more than what they already have replaced. So. Yep. Yep. Um, man, like it's, oh, you know, since you brought up like the stereo stuff, um, just like the TVs, they get bigger, a little bit cheaper. Mm-hmm. Um, you might even, you might've even been at a house at that point in time that had two TVs, which yeah, would have been kind right. of a, a little bit more of an anomaly then. Um, and like, you know, the fact that like in the 1970s, like sure, plenty of people had TVs. I mean, it wasn't like it was new, but how many people had a color TV in the 1970s? Yeah, it wasn't all that much. Like, I don't even think we had, I don't even know if we had color TV until like the later part of the eighties, to be honest with mm-hmm. you. Yeah. Like my, my parents had like a, an older TV when, when I was born and stuff. And even once we upgraded to color, it was a, you know, like a 20 inch screen inside Mm -hmm. of this massive wood box that could easily be a freaking dining room table, you know? So, I mean, it's, uh, it's amazing how, what televisions have come from. I mean, even a couple of years after that TV was new, that's when we would have gotten, um, like the big screen TVs that didn't have the wood box, but they had like plastic or there was almost like a more streamlined version of the, the, the big screen TV in the wood box. Mm-hmm. Oh, dude, I, I had one of those wood box TVs forever. And it just, here's, here's something um, from the 1980s that we need to bring back that thing. Fucking, I, I think we got rid of it simply because it was too big, not because mm-hmm. it stopped working. It just 
kept working. It never yeah. broke. It never fucking broke. And how many times have you replaced uh, a you know one of the one of your slim LCD TVs or LED TVs? Oh, dude! Since Jess and I have been going out, I think the two of us have had we've had at least two TVs, maybe three. I yeah. think so we've been there. It's, it's we've we've done more television re- replacing and upgrading um, in the last like five years than I pretty much have the majority of my life. Right? Yeah. Ex- exactly. Exactly. So you know, maybe maybe that could hint hint people making TVs maybe make them to last longer than fucking two years. Um, right. But whatever. That's neither here nor there. Um, but like, yeah, so, I mean, we have all that stuff and, and, and I do want to add to it. This is sort of, you know, the U S is already, um, you know, a world power, but this is, this is the decade that seals the deal for the U S to be the preeminent world power above all other world powers between the space race and the way that we just sort of outlasted the, the Soviet union. Um, mm-hmm. you know, the, the powers, the, you know, the, democracy and capitalism prevail um socialism communism fall um and it just sort of there there is you know england's obviously they're england they're just gonna do whatever they do but uh, but in terms of sort of like who's that who is sort of who has the fate of the world at their hands there is no one else to control the world at this point once once the soviet union falls Oh yeah, you bet. That's right. Like, if anything, the '80s solidified the U.S. in so many, so many different ways and stuff. You know, because for the longest time, it was us versus the Soviet Union and stuff. You know, and like I, we were definitely wrong about a lot of what they were capable of doing, but we were, you know, more than likely right on um, some things. Mm-hmm. And uh, once, once they fell and the world was shown that communism doesn't really work that's when like we really started to take over for sure and i mean they're still like recovering from that i mean as we talked about last week their last episode like they're still trying to like right some of the cold war wrongs with this whole ukraine thing and stuff so they're still feeling those effects Mm -hmm. yeah exactly They, they never recovered and like even even while they were putting people into space like their own people were starving to death um, right. Like it, it's, you know, not that not saying that, like, we don't have people starving to death in the United States, but like it was it was definitely very much a um, it was um, all an appearance. You know, it was mm-hmm. it, it was a magic trick that the, the Soviet Union even lasted as long as it did. Yeah, exactly. That model was not sustainable and stuff. And when you're you're putting like a, a you're putting a satellite up in the space, just you know, just to say you did it first, and there's bread lines on every corner. Like, yeah, I mean, th- their model wasn't sustainable. It's was, like surprising they right. even lasted that long. Right. So, what piece of pop culture that came to prominence in the 1980s have we never really, you know, stopped partaking in, stopped doing, stopped using? Um, I, I hope that question was pretty clear when I when I asked it. <laughs> Oh, no, I totally understand. I totally got the question. And what I put down with this, which is still very surprising to me that things like this exist in some way, shape or form is the idea of the video arcade. Now, I know Mm. that they were around in the 70s, as you saw it in Jaws, but they definitely blew up in the 80s with the rise of like mall culture and everything Mm. like that. Now, what surprises me about these things, even still today, is I just think that it's like... It's just like completely impractical to me, especially because the home video gaming is just gone light year. I mean, it's just getting better and better all the time. It's disgusting how great the home video game experience has gotten, even compared to like 10 years ago, dude. It's just amazing how the advancements they continue to make. And like when the video arcade exists now, like it exists in like almost like two different kinds of mediums. You have Dave and Busters, Mm -hmm. which like it's 
Dave and Buster's. I mean, they have these things there. The games are extremely overpriced. You don't get anywhere near as much time playing them as you used to when we were a kid. And it just feels like this overgrown novelty. You know, like I almost kind of look at like, I believe me, I know Dave and Buster's is like a hell of fun time and stuff. And it, it can be fun, but it's not something that I feel you could do multiple times. Like no. just in, in general, like, cause you like, if I were to go to Dave and Buster's, like, I'm almost playing the games that you can win like tickets at and stuff. Cause it's just going to do me nothing to go to Dave and Buster's and play the most recent X-Men standup uh, arcade game. But so then what am I doing? I'm just going there to win tickets, to win like these prizes that I literally, like I'm not going to spend all day in Dave and Buster's or win enough tickets to get the cool stuff. Mm-hmm. So I'm just going in there to like get bouncy balls and shit like that, you know? So like in, for me, it's just completely impractical, the whole Dave and Buster's experience. So to counter that, the world has offered us these bars that have video games in them, like 16-bit in Lakewood. We have some barcades and things. Yeah, yeah. We actually we have a place. I think it's it's either called Barcade or it's called Bar 180 or something like that out here. And like, yeah, these are okay, but it's just it's just like a nostalgia grab. And like, there are times where even when I'm in these things and like I'm having fun, it's just like. Yeah, like, I I just don't really know how, like, this can't be something that I, I, like, do regularly, I guess. So, as much as, like, I used to enjoy these when I was a kid, and I sort of kind of maybe get some enjoyment out of them every now and then, it just surprises me that we've held on to this long, because we clearly had no problem, like, kicking video stores to the curb. We had no problem really kicking any, like, businesses to the curb, but they're still, like milking this for all that it's worth and the games have you know dave and buster's games have only gotten more crazier and more like you know big and loud and colorful and stuff but it just like doesn't do anything for me so i don't know man there's just something about this video arcade thing that i'm like i'm just surprised that we've held on to it as long as we have um yeah yeah i know exactly what you mean especially with the way dave and buster's has sort of changed what an arcade actually even is um as you're, you're bringing it you're, it's a really good point because it's not like dave and busters is i mean it's an arcade experience arcade restaurant and, and bar or whatever but like it's very far removed from like what an arcade was and right. it's the experience is really different i mean it, if like if you if if i went to dave and busters with five dollars worth of quarters um first off i can't even play quarters i have to go exchange them for a card or you know something else and right. But like that five dollars is gonna last me about twelve minutes, on whatever. Yeah. Whereas right. in 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 years past, that would have I could have been on a game for two hours on on uh, on five dollars with the quarters, probably more if I really wanted to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I think where the I think the reason why we hold on to this is because it's it's lessened the enjoyment of the games even though some of those like og games are pretty fun still and even some of the ones that came along um post the arcade boom um like the like the uh the golf simulator one that like i i'll always oh. stop to fucking play that um yeah the um yeah yeah thank you golden tea the uh big buck hunter like those right. are fun like i i'll always love those games they're a lot of fun but I think like what what makes you know someone that wants to like or what makes like the Pac-Man experience interesting is the sort of whole arcade machine setup that in and of itself is a collector's item. That it is, you can 
I mean, like, you and I could open up a quote-unquote arcade that has all of these games, and we could just run them off of simulators and um, replicate replicate joysticks and controls and stuff. Like, it wouldn't be that difficult. But yeah. a lot of the places that... A lot of the places that exist that sort of make that like their main attraction, those are the actual machines that were once made with the actual game cards, controls. I mean, like the whole thing is sort of a, um, it, it's it, it, it is sort of like owning vinyl, owning records. Like mm-hmm. it is more than just, you're not just owning music, you're owning this sort of physical display. In the same yeah. way that arcade games, you're not just, it's not just fucking Pac-Man. It's not just Donkey Kong. You have a fucking machine that has that needs to be serviced in a very particular way that needs to be taken care of. It is a showpiece. That's why the arcade culture is still alive. Yeah, you, yeah, you got that right, dude. Yes, the, the showpiece element of it definitely. And I gotta say, like for for something that I'm surprised is still around a lot. Like, I mean, these people who are doing this have definitely like perfected their business model because while I might be like against the idea of what Dave and Buster's has become, and even to a certain degree, like with 16 bit and stuff, that's, that's really the only way that they're getting people in the door is alcohol and food. You know, I mean, I've in Atlanta, when I was in New Jersey, I went to the, the pinball hall of fame, which is basically like a, a big ass arcade and stuff. So that gets people in the door because it's number one on the Asbury park, like in that boardwalk and that little pocket of New Jersey, but it's also got this like, hall of fame kind of a museum kind of like catch to it. So like you can go in there and see like old ass, like there's stuff in there that they just don't have everywhere else. Right. So I can kind of understand that, but like, you know, we're not, if you and I were to just like get a bunch of machines and say, Hey, by the way, we're in arcade now, like the way the kid does licorice pizza, like that business is going to fail. You know, like we, the, the hook is having like food and alcohol to get people in the door. Well, yeah, of course. I mean, no shit. Everyone has games in their pockets. Um, yeah. It's, I mean, that's not surprising. It's just, I, I, I suppose you're taking it a, a particular way when it hasn't been that way in like 25 years. Probably more like 30 that, years. That, that's, that would almost be like one of these things that it's almost like too nostalgic for people. Like, yeah, I, I want video games back, but it's like, man, like, can I get some beer too? Like, I don't necessarily know if I just want to go there and play games. Right, exactly. And you're never going to get a young crowd in to play Donkey Kong. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah, you're right on that. Like they're, they're just not interested in that. Like even like, it's just not in them. You know what I'm saying? It's you, just not that young people think. You could, you could get kids interested in that sort of game, but like they're going to lose interest quickly. And you know, when your audience isn't getting younger, that means your business is dying. So, right. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. Um. So, uh, okay. So good, good call there. And I kind of went the same direction and, and it, it has changed. But I, it's something that we still sort of really like we really took off with. And it's the home video and VCR boom. Um, mm-hmm. you know, obviously, you know, VCRs don't exist anymore. And the idea of home video is very different now. But it obviously like, you know, in the 1980s, again, sort of going like the tech angle of it. Camcorders become much cheaper, and much easier. Like you don't have to have like, the, you know, you're not getting like real to real film. Um, it, it's so much more portable and so much easier to to record, you know, your family gatherings, birthday parties, things like that. Um, mm-hmm. So we have so much more of our memories captured once the 1980s rolls around. Um, and because of this, um, we because now we have um, people with essentially, you know, especially at the time, borderline um, TV quality cameras um, just sort of running and, and taking up all, you know, 
generating all sorts of content, we give a whole new rise. We give a, we basically create unintentionally a whole new type of television. Um, I wouldn't call it reality television exactly, but um, we we do create the um, the user generated TV show. Um, mm-hmm. Most notably, we create um, America's Funniest Home Videos, and um, you know this this sort of this sort of pile of user generated content. Also, it, you know, it strikes before before America's Funniest Home Videos gets to television. People had already noticed, and of course, where do they already notice this? The porn industry. Um, we there's a whole movie. Boogie Nights is all about that, about the the, the closing <laughs> of the the closing of the golden age of porn into the home pornography age, and it's like so we have two simultaneous. I shouldn't say simultaneous because it definitely hits the porn industry first, but we have two sort of we have these two sort of movements that are rapidly changing two very large. Um, uh, two very large pieces of the entertainment industry. And, you know, we have kept with that. You know, we, we have kept with that easily. I mean, America's Funniest Videos is still on TV. Uh, we are still generating content for it. Obviously, we're not, um, we're not you know, we're not using a, a fucking giant video, video camera with a cassette in it, but everyone has a phone now to do it. Everyone can go ahead and make fucking porn on their phone if they want to. Um, obviously, that's been a big, that's been a big boom in the last couple of years. But, we we really the 1980s really changes how we engage with entertainment and our ability to you know our, it's our first taste of actually creating entertainment um realistically um pops up in the 1980s and we have just taken that and run with it oh my god dude yeah like that's when all of that stuff became you know, affordable enough so people could buy it. I mean, I remember when Jason Wood's family had a video camera and stuff, no cable, but a fucking video camera that you could put a videotape in and stuff like that. And yeah, like, dude, Jesus Christ. Like, yeah, the home movies, all that stuff. Like we've only continued to like build off of that. I mean, there are people now that make livings off of little videos that, Mm -hmm. that they make and stuff like that, whether it be cooking or lifestyle, whatever the hell it is. So all those, all of those, um, you know, things that we see today kind of got its start back then because, you know, you got to think about it. If be prior to, um, cameras and everything like that be, being more affordable, like if you wanted to do any of that stuff, you'd have to go out and rent the fucking camera, rent all the equipment and everything, rent the, the film mm-hmm. to like shoot it on and stuff. And then not to mention getting the film developed, all that kind of stuff here. You just pop a videotape in a camera, put it on your shoulder and point it at something. Exactly. Exactly. Just the ease of this uh, really changes. It just changes so much. Um, you know, obviously you could have, again, like video cameras existed prior, you know, like, we, mm-hmm. you know, like I'm sure you saw like, um, old footage of like, you know, you know, maybe your grandparents or something like that, um, you know, from like the 50s and 60s or your parents from like the 50s and 60s. But like, how many of those did you actually see? You know what I mean? Like one or two like brief tapes, whereas like, you know, like the kids like, I, you know, just thinking about like my I was just at um, a, a wedding over the weekend, my cousin's wedding. And I was just thinking like, boy, like if he ever has kids, like his whole fucking life has been on camera in some way, mm-hmm. shape or form. Like. Since since he was a kid, you know, when we used to have like videos of like Christmas videos and stuff like that, his birthdays, his whole fucking life has been on camera. Oh, God. Yeah. Jesus Christ, dude. Like that's you're entirely right on that. Like our lives are on cameras in ways that like our parents and grandparents never even thought about, you know, and there are people like kids being born today. Like they're put on Facebook sometimes the minute that they're like within minutes of them 
being out of the womb and stuff like that. You know, I mean, you're literally looking at kids in the hospital covered in stuff, which is, isn't a pretty image. I'm going to move on from it. But like, yeah, you're seeing so much of that stuff um, in people's like their entire lives. I mean, there are people's kids that like I it's like, I, how the hell do I know what so many of these people's fucking kids look like? I haven't seen these people in ages, but mm -hmm. I know what their kids look like. So, yeah, there's our lives and kids that are being born today. I mean, they're, you know, there's online receipts for just about everything. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I always think about like, um, I always think about this like in the future and we're, we're kind of art, excuse me, we're kind of already getting to this point, but like when I think about um, whenever they do like the Heisman trophy ceremony and mm -hmm. you know, whenever they have like the three or, or four or five finalists or whatever, um, you know, they always do like a, a profile on them, their past and, their family life. And they always show pictures or video of them from when they were kids. And like, we're advancing to the point now where like, you know, at one point it's at one point in time, like you go back to like the nineties or whatever for some of these Heisman trophy winners. Um, and like, they really, you know, you don't have that much footage of them as kids. You know, you got a lot of pictures and things, right? but you don't have a lot of footage of them and stuff as kids. And like, now you advance forward, like, you know, um, CJ Stroud is, more than likely going to end up as one of the Heisman finalists. Bryce Young as well going to end up one of the, as one of the Heisman finalists. Like I guarantee you, like there's there's an abundance of video of both of them as kids because they would have been growing up in like the early two thousands. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, dude. Like when they're putting together that highlight reel you know, they're going to be able to show footage of them playing like peewees and like what they, you know, video of them like walking out and all their gear and stuff. And, and when we were younger, like, and if we were, you know, getting nominated for the Heisman and stuff, like our parents would have had to dig through boxes for people to like videotape the photos and, you know, do fade in and outs in the, mm -hmm. their little, like um, in their little section about you and stuff here. Like they, <laughs> they could probably just go to Facebook and like her Instagram and just find the footage uh, yeah. there and put it together. And then like, even in terms of like, um, you know, high school and peewee and middle school, actual like football footage, you know, before you'd, you'd be watching like one grainy as shit videotape of like three plays from somebody's career. Like, because the, all the, the scouting tapes were just being taped over for the next game. Mm -hmm. Now, Dude, I wouldn't be surprised if like every play of C.J. Stroud or Bryce Young's high school career is on YouTube somewhere. It just probably a is. Big montage of every single play they've ever done, because like you know you don't have to do like what they did back then, where like literally our coaches would take the video camera, go sit in Mayfield stands and videotape the game, take the tape, watch it, and then they would just tape over it the next year. Now you could just like upload a file to a computer. And have everything right then and there. Yep. You don't even have to like tape over stuff. You could just save it. I, I can't wait in like seven, seven to 10 years when they do the Heisman Trophy presentation. And it's just, it's like, all right, now let's look at, uh, let's look at uh, uh, James Jones's, uh, it, um, his TikTok feed um, yeah. from, from, <laughs> two, from 2019 or something. Like it's going to get to that point. Oh yeah. They'll, be, they'll honestly be pulling some of the, not, not just like the game stuff, but like, you know, people's dances or like the O lineman dance that we saw on TikTok from last yeah. week or whatever. Yeah. And so like, yeah, those will end up making it into the Heisman videos. So is there anything, is there anything that you would point to as having been done better in the 1980s than today? Besides okay. TV construction, of course. <laughs> okay. So I got to say, 
I, while I haven't had the ability to set foot in one because there was no way I was old enough to do so, and I'm just judging from footage I've seen on TV and movies, the corporate gym scene in the 1980s looked Ooh, yeah. electric, okay? Yeah. Like, all of a sudden, there's just a random person there dancing, having a good time, getting in shape. I went to an LA fitness today and I, there may have been one smile in that entire fucking gym. Okay. Like, so the corporate gym scene in the eighties looked like amazing in terms of like, just, it almost feels like that's like what, when I was younger, it seemed like that's would be like what going to the gym is all about, where it's more like a social thing than it is like actually like working out, you know, where it's just like, Hey, people are getting laid and dancing and watching videos and stuff in a big room. The entire gym's in on it. Now it's like, not so much. Like now I go there to like work out and stuff like that. And if I'm ever dancing at all, it's probably on my way to the car after just being done working out and stuff. So if those videos and the footage I've seen, if that's true, then they clearly did it a lot better back then than we have it today. I'll, I'll let you in on a secret. All those fucking people were miserable. Um, <laughs> you had some of the absolute worst diet and exercise advice ever in the 1980s. Um, stuff that is counter, completely counter to like what we know today. Like, mm-hmm. like drought. You know, no, no fats in your, no fats in your diet. Um, don't lift weights. Do a lot of cardio. Those people had to have been fucking miserable. Their brains must have been lacking nutrients. And I'm not surprised that 19, the 1980s is also when antidepressant use fucking skyrockets. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's right about the diet advice. Oh, my God. Yeah, everything was um, at-home tapes. Yeah, you're right. The whole no-fats thing. Jesus, God. Yeah, I remember your, I remember that. Your body needs – obviously, you don't, need, you don't need trans fats and saturated fats, but your body needs fats. Like your, right. your brain is a giant fat cell. It, yeah, that's right. it needs yeah. fats. <laughs> like it, not having it. I'm just not shocked that the 1980s is like the, also the decade of everyone fucking popping a thousand pills because we were, we were drowning our brains and bodies of nutrients, but, yeah, um, but it is, yeah. but it is, but no, it is like one of those things. Like I am like when you, when you mentioned like the corporate gym scene, I immediately think like flash to, um, what was the, uh, it, it's, I can't believe I don't remember the name of this movie, but I'll forever remember Jamie Lee Curtis in her leotard fucking jazzercising um, in this movie. Why is it not popping into my brain? It's, um, it's escaping me, too. I saw the meme with fucking Travolta in it and stuff like yeah. that, too. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. It's, yeah. it's a life-changing movie, probably, if you were, like, about 12 or 13 at that point in time. Um, but, like, it's, it, like, the corporate gym scene was, again, like, everyone got fucking ugly as shit in the 90s. Everyone in the corporate gym scene was super fucking hot super hot oh god yeah jesus christ like some of those commercials and everything that i just remember like bally's commercials and everybody just looking hot and happy and stuff like that it's Mm -hmm. uh it's you don't get that even like the advertising they don't advertise like that um today like when you see a planet fitness when when you see a planet fitness commercial it's almost like you can be happy here if you don't do this 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 and this you know like back then it was just like here go work out we got roids in the locker room don't tell anybody like that kind of shit right exactly um good call there very good call dude okay so i'm gonna go entertainment here hey we back in the 80s we could make standalone movies Without promising that there are going to be fucking 10 more of them over the next decade. Right. <laughs> yeah. Back then, if they just had the intention of making one movie and if it was good enough, they decided to make other ones. Not this uh, scheduled 10 movies in advance type of thing. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and that that inevitably leads to failure because you'll never 
you'll never um how often does i mean obviously we, we've talked about it at length the, the marvel cinematic universe is it's a one-of-a-kind thing um mm -hmm. everyone else is is trying um you know be it superheroes or their own version of it um like look at the, the universal pictures planned monster verse um right that that lasted one movie um yeah. <laughs> <laughs> before they abandoned that so like it's just it, it's it's gonna fail like it's just gonna fail and you know they didn't make back to the future back to the future with the anticipation of boy i can't wait to make two and three in fact the second one is about the, you know you can call the second one like about the difficulties of making a sequel which like now it's like if you had if you even thought like a movie was going to be that big before they you know before they even released we would be already be hearing about how the you know the next movie's already been greenlit like it, it would it would take no time so mm -hmm. it, it's like we i don't know we just again we just we made great standalone movies back then and if I'll, I'll also kind of extend this just a little bit farther we made fucking great action movies back in the 80s and i'm glad to see some of these action more recent action movies get back to some of that formula like a movie like prey get back to the mm -hmm. 1980s action movie formula because it's perfect it works action movies work really great when your hero isn't invincible yeah, that's right. Exactly. Isn't it amazing how much you could relate to the character, how much more you get sucked up into the story when they could die yeah. just as easily as the guy who just got killed? <laughs> like, yep. Right. That's exactly right. And and like we, we've talked about this before, and I'll make the same point now as I did then, is that like in a way you're still wrapped up in the drama of the movie. If you know that the person might not make it out in the end, you know, like we know for a fact that it's pretty much implied that like Spider-Man is going to live at the end of Spider-Man one, two, and three. But if I know, or if I, or if I don't, or if I know or don't know that, um, don't know that a Spider-Man two has gotten greenlit, it at least keeps the drama in it that he might not make it out of this one. You mm -hmm. know what I'm saying? Which it just adds stakes and everything like that to the movie. Like it, it really does. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, I, I don't, I don't like, I don't, I don't know. Like, it's just, it, it's one of those things. Like I, I know we're never going to get, things are never going to go back to that sort never going to get completely back to that. I just hope that, some of these more recently successful action movies that are in fact standalone, I hope they, they kind of, you know, like a John Wick, um, like obviously like this more, more recent movie Prey, I hope they cause enough ripples that like we get more of them. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously like a lot of them are coming to streaming services and shit, which man, I wish Prey should have been in movie theaters. <laughs> that was like, it, yeah. it really had some like great cinematic moments that would have been great to see on the big screen. But like it's, I really hope that they do cause enough ripples that we get that like when it comes to the final battle, you're just like, Jesus Christ, are they going to make it out of here? And right. Even, even if for, even if it's just for a minute, I need that. Oh dude, totally. Like I watched this movie called nobody with Bob Odenkirk oh, yeah, a couple yeah. of weeks ago. It's written by the same guy who wrote John Wick. Yep. And like that was fucking awesome. Like, and I, nobody had been out for a very long time prior to me watching it. It yeah, was actually a couple like years a, now. Yeah, it was it was in like they were showing it in the theaters here, like when the theaters started to open up yeah. and they had the limited seating and all that kind of stuff. So like it's been out for a while and I at no point in time have heard anything about them green lighting a nobody too. So for me, and even if they have, I, I don't know about it, but 
I was completely wrapped up in this because I was like, okay, there's a chance that Bob Odenkirk being this guy who's a little bit older doesn't defeat a gang of Russians with guns. Like that might actually mm-hmm. happen here. And spoiler alert, he makes it in the end, but right. it's uh, but you know what I'm saying? But like, it's, it was one of these things that because I, I knew all I knew is Bob Odenkirk fighting people. That's all I knew. I didn't know anything else about it. I didn't know if there were future development, any of that kind of stuff. And it seriously made the movie like just more enjoyable to not have all the noise of the, the business in the outside world kind of chiming in on it. Do you, th- do you think Kevin Feige can even help himself? Like he just like, <laughs> like they lock up, they lock up like a deal, you know, like, okay, we're going to make, um, we're going to make five more Captain Marvels. Like, is it just like, is it, he's like an addict. He has to like get on Twitter and or he has to like have this publicist call like Hollywood Reporter, like immediately to like announce like, don't worry for the next eight years you're gonna be you're gonna be seeing Brie Larson everywhere you fucking look. Yeah, he must honestly. That those are really like the only times that um he really gets any must get any real attention. It's either like when the movies are about to come out or when they have come out he gets a little bit of press. But for the most part, it's all on the stars. So that has to be one of the only ways that he gets. Uh, that he gets his little fixes to kind of drop information about the MCU to people. Oh, God, I, I, I really, I, I just don't know when, like, I don't know when it stops because like, even, even like a garbage film, like Morbius, I'm sure made like $200 million. I wouldn't be surprised if they made money off of that. That's for sure. But yeah, it's, because of China, but I mean, yeah, that's where all of it probably came from. Yeah, it was right. from China. But like, I mean, it, I would think it has to stop somewhere. But I mean, there are like we're already there's more phases that are being announced. Like we, Fantastic Four has now entered into the equation. So mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's like the thing that I'm wondering about is that if let's just say it doesn't stop, okay? Like, are people going to develop the same kind of attachment to some of these lesser-known characters There's as they no are with, 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 like, Captain America and Iron Man? Like, I just don't see it, you know? Like, Black Panther was, like, not the most popular character in Marvel, but he was still a popular character. There's still years of mm-hmm. publications that come with Black Panther and stuff like that, you know? And, I mean, and having it being the first, like, um, African-American superhero in the Marvel, you know, like, that really, like, you know, that adds a lot of weight to it oh, and sure, everything. Sure. But like, are we like, I, I can't even tell you the name of some of these like newer stuff that's, that's coming out. You know, I know like the guardians has got it. There's the secret wars that they're doing, but it's the DC is in the same boat. Are we, are people going to really be like, Oh my God, the, the blue beetle was just groundbreaking. You know what uh, yeah, I know. Like uh, it's, <laughs> I, I just, I just, I have no idea. So like I, it's this thing that, like we are experiencing, we've been, you know, we've had such a relationship with this that um, we're now at the point where like, is like me personally, I should say, I'm now at the point where number one, I'm not a big like MCU exhaustion after just binging everything right in a row when I got Disney plus, but I'm just like, when does it, like, when does it actually stop? Because like, you know, the, the Thor movie, um, most recent one made a fuck ton of money, but didn't necessarily get the best reviews. Does that mean people are kind of getting sick of Thor or does that mean let's just get a new director and rebrand the whole fucking project? Like, I, know. I, I don't know. I don't know what what they're going to do here for me personally. I'm just like, we've had enough solo Thor movies like we could go on. We could stop and call it quits now. But I, the studio is probably like, yeah, you know, Taika Watiti he rebranded Thor. So what if we get 
insert new hot director here to just rebrand Thor again. So I just don't know, you know. I, at some point, Chris Hemsworth has to, like, threaten to kill himself yeah. to get out of Like, I think that's what, how Robert Downey Jr. got out of it. He's like, I'm going to kill myself in real life if you don't let me make another fucking movie. Um, I mean, he literally went almost like a decade in between non-MCU movies. Right. That's which is right. Yeah. Absurd. <laughs> absurd. But, oh, I know. Uh, but yeah, like at some point in time, some of these stars have just got to go like, God damn it. Like, I, I really want to work on like this, this like fucking gritty um, indie drama, this indie crime drama. But I'm, I'm too busy fucking wearing like a, like a blue dildo on my fucking head in front of a bunch of green screens. Right. For the fifth time in my career. Right. <laughs> yeah. they Like some people and stuff like that, like. I could see, you know, especially like Downey Jr. and everything like that, who like it was even just even a surprise that he took Tony Stark to begin with. I was just, he didn't really seem like MC, like MCU actor here, but there got to be some people that it just drives them absolutely insane. Like they, they did it for the money once and it's like, oh, you're meaning to tell me like I can't do this because the marketing people are worried that if they see Thor doing coke, it's going to be a problem. I mean, it, there's I'm sure the money is good, but for some people, it's 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 just like money. They they, they want to go out and do more uh, things that are in line with what their creative yeah. goals are. That, that's why I was always very surprised that Mark Ruffalo is still in it. Still. Yeah. It's, like, I mean, he's been in it for a long time now and pre-MCU Mark Ruffalo does not seem like the type of person that would have picked the Hulk as his, like his, pro- as his, as his project. Right. You know what I mean? Like, oh, just does not yeah. seem like it. Yeah, dude, like, I prior to him joining the MCU, I, I had little experience with him. I saw him in this movie called The Brothers Bloom, and he was in mm-hmm. Spotlight. And Spotlight, he was absolutely incredible and, and deserved that Academy Award that he won. And then, like, he's done... He, he, there was this HBO show where he plays twins. Like, he's done a couple of like serious things outside of the MCU, but like he's still, he's in She-Hulk attorney at law, <laughs> you know, he's mm-hmm. in the fucking previews for that. Like he's not letting this go. And the crazy thing is, is he's got to have all the money in the world. Like he's got to have made so much from this where I feel he could like afford financially to like maybe take a step back, but no, he's, he's still going strong. They got a new, he's new. He's uh, articulate, smart Hulk. And then some in, in this one. It was like a new Hulk every time he decides to do it. Oh, Mark Ruffalo. He was, yeah, he was a, an indie darling for a long time before before he became the Hulk. It's just, it's very <laughs> bizarre to me. But like you said, it's it must be hard to like turn down like a guaranteed $20 million. Right, that's right. It's like he's probably sitting there like reading like two scripts and like one is just like some indie thing where he's got to pay the director. And then he looks at the she hole script and he's like, man, I could be in five scenes and make $10 million. Mm-hmm. Oh man. I do need to redo the house this, uh, this year. I might as well just do she Hulk. <laughs> so what piece of 1980s culture that we no longer use or partake in do you miss? Okay, man, it's it's completely impractical, but like I kind of miss the video store. I, I I don't mean Blockbuster. I mean like the neighborhood mm-hmm. video stores that Absolutely. we used to have. And like in um in the Macedonia area, we had Summit Video, which is right next door to Stan's Bakery over yep. there on Old Eight. And then we also had Network Video in Sagamore Hills, which Gorbett worked at. And like um, Mike and Matt Champa's mom was the actress in their commercials and stuff. And yep. their commercials were awesome. Like Darth Vader shows up to return tapes and. 
Bogart shows up to return yep. videos and stuff. Like that's the kind of stuff. No, that, you, like, left a, you left a video madness in Macedonia. Was there? Okay, there was one in Macedonia. Oh yeah, and then this one would have been. Uh, don't tell me. It's either the the plaza that is on eighty two. Like yeah, it's right a, it, was, it was across or, from across from uh, what hurt old hurt chicks. Yes, that's right. Yep. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. All right. I remember that now. Okay. Yes, you're right. That is totally there. That's like that plaza in Macedonia. Like it, for the longest time, it just meant Dairy Queen to me and stuff like that. I forgot they had the video madness in mm-hmm. there. That's right. So like these little stores and stuff, like these were awesome growing up and everything. Like I, I'm telling you, like it's, I, I know like what I'm about to say, you could pretty much hear in the last blockbuster documentary, but these little fucking video stores, like whether it's the, um, the employee picks and stuff that you used mm-hmm. to go to or even just all this like weird movie posters kind of arranged like just all at once with no indication of any kind of harmony theme or cohesion whatsoever like i just used to love going into those stores i mean you used to get like free movie posters with rentals some used to give you like free popcorn and stuff you know and while it is infinitely easier for me to just like, you know, think of a movie, go to Apple movies and rent it or whatever. There's a certain thing about like going to the video store and maybe wanting something that you don't have or settling for the pick because you didn't because they were out of whatever you wanted. And it turns out the movie was awesome. Like there was just little fucking cool things about that, that we like we just don't have it anymore and i mean even i'm I'm pretty positive that if i looked hard enough i could find a someplace that actually still rents videos and something out here in la it has to exist i refuse to believe it's completely extinct but um even if i were to like do it now it's just not the same like if i were to do it now it's it's just the equivalent of doing anything for nostalgia's sake you know what i'm saying there's no practicality to it whatsoever but um but I will say that I do miss the video store, dude. A hundred percent. I mean, it, it had. I mean, it, so it, you're gonna find video stores still in small towns, um, be they independent. You know, they're you know they're not affiliated with like Family Video or something like that. Um, but even like even like a Family Video in a small town is run like like a Video Madness or Summit Video or whatever. Like they are run differently than they would have been run. 15 20 years ago um mm-hmm. simply because like the you know the apparatus that would have been feeding them all of the you know like giving them a thousand copies of fucking titanic that apparatus is gone but they still have the name so it still works it still functions sort of like um like the old school video stores but you i mean like you have to you have to go find those like they're just they're right. not apparent in most places like but again like if you were to go to a small town um, like if, like I, I was recently like driving through Western Pennsylvania and when I went through, I want to say I went through like Elwood city, I think it was Elwood city. Yeah, it was Elwood city. Um, there was like a, there was an independent video store and a smaller family video, um, like a couple blocks wow. away from each other. So like, this is like the only place you're going to see them, but you're right. Like the, the, the video store in BG, there was, <clears throat> there was at least like when I started there, there was a blockbuster or family video or something. Like there was a corporate one, um, but down this, you know, farther down this, down the like main street down the strip, um, there was video spectrum. And like, that's like how I got into Japanese horror because like the guy who, you know, depending on who was, who was sort of managing the store that week, they would like set up like their own section of like, 
here's some, you know, like, oh, do you, are you into this movie that's coming out? You know, this popular movie that's coming out in video, here are 10 like them. Or here right. are 10 directors like this director and a collection of their movies. And there is, you know, even though you, you know, you, you as you're, you're right, like you can, you know, go through Apple, you know, Apple movies and you can go through Netflix and everything else. You can't find it curated that way. The way that those small video stores used to curate things. That is a fucking lost art that I, I wish would make some kind of meaningful comeback. But like, I don't even have, I don't even really, I, I take that back. I guess I can play them on my PlayStation, but otherwise I have no means of like playing, uh, playing a Blu-ray. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, I got you. Yeah, I don't even have yeah. means to do it. Yeah, dude. Wow, that's really insane. Yeah, we just, goddamn. Yeah, we used our Blu-ray player for like the first time, and like we have one just to say we have it. And I still buy DVDs every now and then, but it's been a minute and stuff. And what you're saying about this personal curation, okay? This. I, I don't think that people like really quite get this, especially like, you know, younger people and stuff oh, that right. are reliant on the algorithm. Like there's to put it simply like the new Beverly cinema in Los Angeles, which is the Tarantino's theater. This thing really only survives because of like Tarantino, his name and his own like movie knowledge and stuff. It's like, when you see the the monthly lineup every month and some months are are better than others, like you get like really cool, like interesting stuff, you know, it's like, wow, like this, you know, things that like perk your ears up and everything. You don't get that from like the algorithms and stuff. There's just this personal touch to video recommendations that the algorithms, like they may hit the genre, they may hit the country. There may be, you know, things that the algorithm picks up, but there's just this personal touch to video recommendations that only existed inside the stores. Like they mm -hmm. just haven't found a way to replicate it um, in terms of technology. Exactly. Like it, it, like when I, when I got like into Takashi Miike, that was, uh, that was about the time that like the grudge and um, I took it back before that. It was like when the ring um, mm -hmm. was, was popping. And that was like one of the recommendations that this guy like set out was like, if you're, you know, you know, here, here's more Japanese horror. And like, here's a, you know, this isn't, this isn't sort of like the supernatural Japanese horror. Like this is psychological horror and physical horror. Um, so like, you know, like, and it was just kind of like, all right, I'll check this out. And then like, you know, your mind gets blown. Like the first time like you watch audition or the first time you watch Ichi the killer or something. And it's just mm -hmm. like, Jesus Christ, like what is going on in Japan? Like I have to find out more about this. And that, you know, and obviously you're never going to find that at a blockbuster, um, but you're certainly not going to get that sort of same, the algorithm isn't going to give you the same jump from something like the ring to Ichi the killer. There's just no way it's going to make that connection. No, absolutely. Absolutely not. And stuff that is stuff that only like a human being with experience, like even like being on a college campus and stuff like that, there's just all these things going on there and the certain human touch that you're going to, to get that and everything mm -hmm. like that. I mean, you're just not getting it out of an algorithm. Yep. And the, really quick question. Um, did video madness in Macedonia have the saloon doors in the back that led to the porn section? Yep. Okay. Yep. Fuck. Yeah. Nice. Yep. Nice. Had, that, it was, it was pretty li It was, I remember it being pretty limited. It like, wasn't like a big section, but like they definitely the saloon doors. Yep. Yeah, network video had the same thing, and I think Summit Video had like a curtain. Like Summit Video was a Summit small... Video had a curtain. I remember that. 
they did have the yeah yes yep. yeah they had the curtain because it like the, the space was like really really small i mean like the, the size of stan's bakery like stan's bakery was probably like the, the same size or maybe even right. a little bit bigger right so yeah just the i the idea of sectioning off a certain part of the store with a magical curtain or set of saloon doors to prevent kids from going into it is just once again, something that you're not going to find in a modern day nope. world. And just completely <laughs> stigmatizing anyone that decides to walk in there. Like, yeah, that's right. Yeah, you know oh, why yeah. they're coming back out and what they're holding in their hands. Exactly. Oh my God. Yeah. Just the looks on some of these people's faces. Like I think, you know, you've seen people like go in and oh, pick yeah. stuff out. It, it's just like, it is just unforgettable. Like some of these expressions, some of these, like just, you know, guy looking all happy that he's just bought a porn or some guy that just like, <laughs> is trying to get out of there. Like he's in, like he's in stealth mode. Like, Oh my God, I can't, uh, I can't have the, the leader of the mother's club at the football for football. Come find me here. Right. right. <laughs> oh God. Um, Jesus Christ. That, that's just so funny. Um, Chem, I went, I went a very similar direction um, with sort of this like personalized touch of things. But I went with uh, I, I really miss the mixtape slash mix CD, and it's obviously you know we still do it. We have playlists and shit on our Spotify's and Apple Music and everything else. But there's those don't have the same personal touch as getting or giving a mixtape. Like mm-hmm. the effort that actually had to go into it to put all those songs together. Things that you know obviously there, there's a, an effort that had to go into it, and. Also, like, again, sort of the, the human idea of, like, okay, so, like, I'm giving this person this song. What about, you know, the, like, this one, this one? You know, like, you, you have to go through and yeah. sort of build this with, you know, what you like, your own knowledge, and, like, what you know about the person you're giving it to. It's a really – it's a it's an underrated personalized gift that, you know, now it's just, like, you know, you know just check this song out on Spotify, check this song out wherever. It's it's never – or, you know, even, even if you do put a playlist together for someone else – it's not the same as like going through all the effort to actually record the tape or burn the CD. Like that is, that is another level of like care that gets put into um, giving someone this particular gift. Oh my God, man. The idea of having to sit there and actually listen to the song that you are recording. Like you had to like physically like sit there, hit the stop button and everything like that to make these mixtapes. This is just like you, when you get a mixtape or a mix CD from somebody, it's just like, man, like somebody really put in all that effort just to make this thing for me here and stuff, you know, and it's not even like a dining room table or anything like that. It's just like a tape or CD, but still like a lot of effort goes into it. And just even like uploading CDs to uh, your computer to then like select the file and put them in your CD burning software and stuff like that. Like that, that's a task. Like that's hours mm-hmm. right, th- right there and stuff. It's not like the, uh, you know, I can assemble a, a Spotify playlist in a, in a matter of minutes if I, if I caught a hot streak and knew which songs I wanted on there. But like the actual like construction of the mixtape and the mix CD is just something that like, you know, people don't kind of, people don't put that stuff into, uh, into, into, into that kind of effort into things anymore you know and like let's just say you're like going out with somebody and like you know you give them that mix cd like oh these songs make me think about you like those that like makes an impact you know if i Mm -hmm. were to go up to jess and say like hey look at the spotify list of songs i made that make me think about you it's just not the same no no it's there there is something to having that that piece that physical piece of media that you know someone put effort into making if there's, there's just something about it and Mm-hmm. We just don't, we do not. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure some people do still do this and it really is sort of like, as in like an effort to like, 
to go above and beyond and show that you actually do care because why else would you do this? Right. Exactly. Like there's no reason to do that unless the fact that you fucking care. That is basically like, that is one of the greatest ways to show somebody you care other than wearing a t-shirt that says I fucking care on it is just, <laughs> is the form of a mixtape or mix CD. Right, right, right. So, all right. So to, to wrap up this section here, why do you think so many pieces of 1980s pop culture have resurfaced in such a strong way in the past I mean, the past decade, but I think really what we're looking at more like the past like five to seven years. Man, like I, okay. In terms of some of the like physical products and stuff like that, like people who are our age now have a little bit more money so they can spend it on, on things from the eighties, like whether it be toys or even like records and stuff like that, there's a certain nostalgia bump that is given being just from Mm -hmm. people's own economic situations and stuff like that. You know I mean? I, it's not like I make a fuck ton of money, but I make more money than I did when I was 17. So there are just, there are even things that like I have bought back that I once used to own or maybe traded away. I didn't feel like the connection with it then that I now tried to to re get in my life. So I feel that, um, in terms of like some of the economic stuff and particularly like collector's items, it really boils down to our, um, our like age bracket, finally having like a little bit of disposable income to like buy stuff like that, at least disposable income that we never used to have. Um, so when it comes in terms of like the entertainment industry, like it is, this is just, to be honest with you, it's like, it's kind of like a mystery to me. Like, and I would have to say that, like, I I don't want to play like the stranger things card again here, but like, I almost feel that like they, they, even if you want to conclude the Americans, Halt the Catch Fire, all the stuff that was started, you know, back in before Stranger Things, like, it's really just people like just fucking watching it to just like feel some kind of nostalgia. And I know that this is the take out the nostalgia part, but it's like the only thing I can think of as to why there would be the surge in entertainment, you know, the other than to maybe tell a couple stories that weren't told from the eighties, like the, like hold and catch fire, or even like a situation like the Americans, we never had really gotten um, it from the Russians perspective before. I, I'd have to say nostalgia is the, the driving factor here. Well, I mean, yeah, obviously nostalgia is the driving factor. Um, that's why I said to keep it out, but yeah. Um, it is the driving factor. I can, you know, like I think we, as we mentioned before, like the fashion stuff, stuff just cycles in and out all the time. Like something from the seventies is going to come back soon enough. Like it just, that's just the way things work. Like, so like to me, like the fashion stuff isn't like that surprising. Um, you know, like we're, we're already moving into some nineties fashion stuff again. Like it's, you know, we're, we, we, I don't know if you've seen people who are younger, Especially women popping the mom jeans and like, um, like big chunky ugly white shoes. Yeah. Oh like, yeah, those are coming back. Yeah, nineties are back, baby. Like, but again, like that could last five years and then we're back into something from the eighties or whatever. It, you know, something from the sixties. You know, we might have like big floral print, uh, prints or something. Um, so like the fashion stuff doesn't surprise me whatsoever. Um, musically, again, I think it's it's almost inevitable that you're going to have sounds get recycled more frequently just because you're going to have musicians, especially lesser known musicians, try new stuff. Um, that, that doesn't surprise me really. When, it, when I get to more of the TV and entertainment industry, I think the eighties is a really safe landing spot. If you're making it, if you're making a TV show or, or a movie, because you get to, you get back to a time 
where things like the internet and cell phones didn't ruin storylines. You you want to make like a, a, a heist thriller? Well, that movie can get derailed really quickly if someone can call 911 on their cell phone. But if you said it back in 1983, um, no one had a cell phone. Um, they right. did not exist yet um, at that, in that year. So no one would have been able to call. You know, no one would have been able to, to make that, that cell phone call. Um, no one would have been able to get online and look something up or do something like it. That just didn't exist yet. And so because you have that, so you have that sort of like inherent um, sort of, um, I guess, not a limitation, but sort of like the option to sort of free yourself. And because the 1980s is very recognizable um, to a lot of people our age and even younger people understand like what was happening in the 1980s versus setting that same story like in the 1940s which is significantly more unrecognizable. Um, so the 1980s is sort of this interesting landing spot where stuff looks familiar. You know, like we had color TV. There, uh, the world events, the way, you know, the way the world events are actually echoing again. There's a lot of familiarity to the 1980s that you didn't have for previous time periods where certain, where certain technological advancements would just completely fuck a storyline. Oh yeah, dude. Like the cell phone is either the greatest or worst invention um, in entertainment history, depending on who you talk to, you know, like for television, it might be the greatest thing because somebody can always call out of nowhere and mm -hmm. thus setting up the next episode and stuff. But like with um, movies and definitely in TV too, like it, um, there's a lot of conveniences that the cell phone gave the entertainment industry that it just, that it did not have in the 1980s and if somebody were to have a cell phone in the 80s it would fit the character it would be the rich douchebag on the car phone yelling at somebody or right. whatever you know the setting up the person that we're not supposed to like and stuff and yeah i mean i completely agree with you on like the imagery and everything like it's definitely recognizable and even like to a certain degree like um there are things there that well it may not be like the technology but you know, there were buildings that were built in the 80s that still stand today and everything like that. So, like, things, like, kind of look familiar enough to, um, you know, for people to be like, okay, like, yeah, like, I, I was in, like, my building in Century City was built in the 80s and stuff like that. And, like, it really does kind of have a like eighties, like overall, like appearance to the, the, the property and the, the way that the buildings look and stuff like that. So there's definitely like some familiarity there for sure. And even for things that aren't familiar with people, it's easy to identify. You're right. Color TV is by far and away something that people can relate to. And even if it's on a bigger, uh, in a bigger box television, like people are still going to get it. You know, it's not like so far of a, uh, a foreign concept to them that they have no idea what the, the hell they're watching. Right. Right. It, it's like, you know, if, if, uh, if Ferris Bueller's parents had cell phones, the principal just needs to call them. Right. And the jigs up the whole movie's fucking over. Um, yeah. Oh yeah. But the, like, you know, he doesn't, so they don't, and he doesn't have a means to contact them. Um, so like the movie can continue, but, but you, because it's not like, I'm trying to think of, I don't think there's a good 50s, 1950s equivalent to, to this necessarily, but like, it would be, it would be weird if like, or maybe even like prior to that, it would be weird if like, um, Ferris Bueller's day off included like, uh, you know, a, like a, a night at the sock hop and like yeah, right. some other things that are like so culturally like far away that like no one knows what they are, but like people know what, you know, people know what, um, 
you know, like, like the obviously the parades have been around for fucking ever, but like, um, you know, we're we're doing pop music in 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 Ferris Bueller, so like that's mm-hmm. recognizable. But like, if it was again like the nineteen like thirties or forties or something, it wouldn't have been pop music. It would have been what, like fucking George Gershwin or something. Like, that's like what he's up singing at a parade. Like, no one knows, no audience right. would connect to that whatsoever. So like, it's it, it like there's just this interesting familiarity about the, about the nineteen eighties that is even though it's now approaching forty years ago, um, it still carries enough enough of the fingerprints of the of of you know modern times and things that like you can set something there and it'll still make sense hence why stranger things is a big hit if they set stranger things in like the 1970s or 60s guarantee that shows a one season show oh yeah dude there's like it's not going to pump the nostalgia mill which that show is you kind of reliant on or whatever like no one's going to get nostalgic for like a kids fighting monsters in like the sixties and stuff. And in in many ways it's almost out of character for the show in general, because they base a lot of stranger things on D and D and dungeons and dragons, like terminology and stuff. And that blew up in the 1980s. So Mm -hmm. it it definitely like it wouldn't work. And that's for sure. on like a multitude of levels and stuff. And like, yeah, there's, you make a really good point about this with the footprint and like the, the starting point of the eighties and just people in general in the 50s like even stuff that like normal people like did in the 50s and stuff that we still do today that people did in the 50s it sure as hell doesn't look like it you know what i'm saying even like the the family sitting around the dinner table the imagery looks way more what we're used to now in the 80s than it did in the 50s where you know it's like the the mom cooking these massive ass meals and stuff like that and even just like the, the conversation the banter that they talk about we're more in line with that than than we are in the 50s and 60s for sure yeah like i I just just to finish this thought of like um like thinking about like what the kids do in in stranger things they go to the arcade they go to the video store they they do these kind of things to you know they play the D, obviously and they play other games together what would they have been doing in the 1950s if if that show took place then like Mm. Exploring the sewers, fucking throwing rocks yeah. at trains. Right. Yeah, that's right. Riding their bikes around. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. That, that, that would have been it. That, that would have been it. Yeah. Like, goddamn. Yeah. Playing cowboys and robbers, cops and robbers, stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. It's all boring shit that no one cares about. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Let's wrap this up here real quickly uh, with a little segment section here. I'm calling the most. We are going to give our list of the of the most nineteen eighty thing at night the most nineteen eighties things in pop culture in both the actual decade and now. Um, so, for example, like you might say, the most nineteen eighties musician of the decade was Michael Jackson, and the most nineteen eighties current musician is The Weeknd. Um, so we're you don't need to get too deep into the reasoning behind this. So we'll just go mm-hmm. down the list here real quick real quickly to wrap up. Uh, so Chema, what year is the most nineteen eighties? Um, so let's start with your actual decade. What year was the most 1980s of the 1980s? Oh, I went with 1983. This one was a pretty um, interesting year. And the reason that I have it being the most 80s year of them all is because I keep going back to this. This is one of the most 1980s things ever is Reagan proposing the Strategic Defense Initiative, the SDI or Star Wars, as some people would know it. And not only proposing this, but like the fact that this actually like had a little bit of an impact on the Cold War that we were able to sell Russia on this satellite defense initiative program that the United States was working on, or he just kind of basically just like sold them without actually having anything. You know, we proposed this idea, and 
this right here, not only does it have like a 1980s action movie written all over it, but it's just one of the more unusual, crazier things that I think like our government could possibly like come up with. It's just something that is seriously right out of a science fiction movie. We also had Mario Brothers was released as an arcade game in Japan this year. Um, we had this uh there was cruise missiles going to uh, in England, um, not important. Uh, we had – what the hell was the other one thing that I was going to bring up here about this? Oh, this Grenada thing, like just, you know, this like short – this was invaded Grenada this year, which is kind of just like short, kind of nothing, almost once again, just like something that was perfect for the 1980s. So I went with 1983 as the most 80s year of them all. Good choice. Very good choice. Um, I I – yeah, that that is yeah, any, anything involving Reagan and the Russians is is probably a pretty good choice. Um, oh yeah, mobile I, phones. Mobile phones are interested in this year too. Yeah, um, yeah. Then we have a uh, mash, which and a uh, cabbage pastel. So I mean, we have capitalism. We got Russian stuff. We got video games. I mean, if this isn't the '80s, I don't know what is. Love it, love it. Excellent choice. I went with 1986. Um, we have we have both Russia and America at some of its best and worst. Um, and by Russia at its best, I mean doing just the most ridiculous shit. Um, mm-hmm. 1986, Chernobyl explodes. Um, um, you know, and, and thus begins, you know, the first, not the first, but like the, maybe the most notable crack in the, um, you know, in the Iron Curtain at this point in time. Um, you know, the, you know, obviously like, the, you know, they had years, years prior, decades prior, the Russians had beaten us to space and everything else. And, you know, they were at the forefront of nuclear technology. And guess what? They actually really weren't. Um, they were making cheap nuclear reactors um, and right. spreading them all over Europe. And one of them explodes in a very horrific manner. Um, we, don't, we don't know the actual numbers on this, but it's possible it killed upwards of 300,000 people um, by the time, you know, like the, the, the fatalities that are taken into account years later because of cancers and things. Um, so that's 1986. Um, mm-hmm. America at its worst. The shuttle, the space shuttle Challenger explodes. Um, yep. over Florida. We also have, uh, this is the last time Halley's Comet was uh, in our solar system. Um, and I guess it'll be back like in the 2050s is the next time we're going to see it. Um, Soviet Union also launches the Mir space station. And um, uh, just sort of as just sort of a side note here, Oprah Winfrey, uh, her, her national show debuts. Oh, no way. Yep. No way. Nice. Wait, and the rest is history on that. That's Freaking one of the most uh, recognizable media moguls in our history. Yeah. Yep. Yep. It started in 1986. Uh, wow. So there you go. So what? So what year um, currently, or more recently, would you say is the most 1980s year? Oh, it would be 2016 all the way. Like I mean, just aside from the political stuff we had going on there, we had two sports teams and epic droughts, which to me, it just seems like an 80s sports movie waiting to happen. Um, like 2016 was a real fucking crazy ass year. And if there was ever a, a year most recently to pull from, that's got a lot of content to turn into a crazy 1980 style movie. It's 2016. I dig it. I dig it. Um, I went with 2021. I went with last year um, as Russia is eager to, um, world events kind of echoing again as Russia is very mm-hmm. eager to sort of put its stamp back on the on the world stage, um, as if you know Putin apparently thinks it is the 1980s again. Um, he's trying to reestablish sort of um, Russian dominance in the in the East and and uh, 
well, we're seeing, you know, we're obviously we're seeing sort of the, some of the efforts from that um, now with the Ukraine war, but also, you know, there were a number of cyber attacks um, against American institutions, banking institutions, military institutions. Um, they were all perpetrated by Russia. Russia is mm-hmm. Russia is once again, and, and not just against us, against Europe, um, you know, Canada, all over the world. Russia is once again become the Russia has made itself into the 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 movie villain of the 1980s once again. Yeah, that is true. Oh my God, that's a role that they are dying to fucking play. That's for sure. Jesus Christ, it's like Corey Feldman trying to get cast into a sitcom. They want to play that role in the worst yep. way, shape, and form. Yep. Yeah. So what's what celebrities the most 1980s from okay. the 1980s? Dude, I went with um. Probably it's either going to be one or the other one. I think for us here, but I went with uh, I went with Arnold on this one. Like you really you can't, cannot get to be a bigger movie star than Arnold Schwarzenegger in the 1980s. And like, not only was he a major awesome star in the 80s, but like I will tell you, I think seriously, his that's where like his best work lies. Oh, I, for sure. Terminator 2 being this unusual exception because it was like 92 i think 91 92 um everything that he has done 80s wise action movie wise is just like absolute gold i mean we're we're talking running man predator like the 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 first terminator and stuff you're just looking at you're just looking at a really special time in that man's career and these movies are all just like enjoyable in so many different ways Oh, oh, Commando! Yes. God, yeah, like just, just so many of them. Em- eminently rewatchable action movies. Um, create like, <laughs> like it's it's almost there's almost like a there's almost a separate genre of movies that could just be called Arnold action movies that no yeah. one even Stallone has never quite got into that level of action star and you know arguably Stallone's the better not arguably Stallone is the better actor. And the mm-hmm. more, uh, you know, he's Rocky won Academy Awards, um, right. like, and it was nominated for Best Picture. Like, un- unarguably, Stallone is like the, you know, career career wise, the better actor. But man, Schwarzenegger is just like a once in a lifetime figure that just was dropped down by the fucking Greek gods for us. Right, and you God, you're so right on that. And like he, the one thing that I noticed particularly difference between the two is Arnold really hit not just once, but like over and over again on these sci-fi action crossovers. Like Stallone didn't really hit on this till demolition man in 93, like still like the eighties was mostly like Rambo and the Rockies Mm -hmm. and stuff Mm -hmm. like that. And like Rocky four and everything. But when you were talking about sci-fi action crossovers, like in the purest definition of the word, not in the, 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 not in the way that like the superhero, the Marvel movies are science fiction, stuff like that. You know, it's like in its purest form, what Schwarzenegger did in the eighties is just like, it's, that is just like goat kind of shit right there. You know what I'm saying? Like Mm -hmm. fucking the, the total recall, like all this stuff. Like he was one of these, and one of the few action stars from back then to really, really do a great job of merging this the sci-fi action genre together just that, that to me like it's to, to me like that those are arnold's movies from back then like it's not commando it's 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 more like the, the predator total recalls of the world yeah for sure and and he knew how exactly how to deliver those one-liners like mm-hmm. no, I, no one I, I don't think i've ever i don't think any other action star has done it better delivering those one-liners be they serious 
or be they funny? Like he can do, he can do it. It's like, oh. and no one else ever has. Yeah. The, honestly. Yes, exactly. That is totally right on that. He's a one fucking liner machine. Um, love it. So who's, who's your, um, who's your current most 1980s celebrity? Okay. So I went with, um, I went with the rock in this one. I mean, mm. it's with the exception of like the sci-fi crossover stuff. I mean, you couldn't really be asking for much of like an action star than the rock. He's basically a modern day Schwarzenegger, but doing like maybe doing like a little bit more like in terms of just like his yeah. overall personality and stuff like that. So if I to find the, the 1980s version of Arnold or the modern version of Arnold, it would be the rock. Good choice. He is sort of the, um, the more polished version of what, of Arnold, mm-hmm. um, but significantly more polished. Cause you know, Arnold is, you know, like they, that was always, and it's just so funny, but that was always the complaint about Arnold. Like, well, like he doesn't sound like a human being. Like we can't, you know, he doesn't sound like an American. We're gonna say he's an American cop. Like, <laughs> how does that even fuck? Like, who cares? Right? Who yeah, fucking no cares? One. Is anyone here for him talking? No, we're here for watch him beat people up, flex, and deliver one liner. Yeah, that that's exactly right. And God, and I'm telling you, I younger Arnold, really good looking fucking dude. Like on top of all the the being jacked and shit like that, like that oh, is yeah. a good looking oh, yeah. dude. That is just like a star waiting to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, love it. Excellent choices. I went a different direction, but I think you'll, I think you'll agree with me here that one is very close to the other here. So my most 1980s celebrity from the actual 1980s, Michael J. Fox, the one and only, um, Mm -hmm. he has a run that is almost, when you look at it, it's almost unparalleled between family ties for seven years, teen wolf back to the future. Um, let's see. He, he has the, what's the war movie he has casualties of war, um, Back to the Future Part 2, and there's another movie in here that, oh gosh, um, there's like a TV movie in here that he popped on. He had like a, he had like an eight-year run that is just like unparalleled, um, mm-hmm. where he is the headlining actor in both TV, make one of the few guys, especially back, oh, Secret to My Success is one of the, one of the ones I'm thinking of. Um, one of the few people at that point in time, especially young actors, that starts on TV that makes the jump completely seamlessly to movies and goes from not just, I mean, TV star to movie star without any, like literally no effort. Oh yeah, dude. And back then there was like that. It was almost like there was this dividing line between TV stars and movie stars. And I'm not saying that like it was impossible for one person to cross over into another, but there was just this certain kind of thing that hung over you. Mm -hmm. If you were a, um, a TV star and everything back then and for him to do it and to go back and forth with it so seamlessly and to like, never even be questioned like, Oh my God, is he just does not have it anymore? Like what the hell's going on? Like he's just a big ass fucking star. You don't really see, you don't really see people doing that for a very, very long time. Like it's almost more of a modern thing that people can bounce back and forth between TV and movies. But back then, like this was a real accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, I like just thinking about that same time period. Um, Tom Selleck never really, never really made it in movies in the 1980s or early nineties. And he was the biggest TV star for a long time. That's right. Yeah, that is right, dude. That guy was a huge fucking TV star and everything. And like, yeah, I mean, God, like what? He's probably only got like a handful of movies that I could even remember. Like when Mr. Baseball, maybe that, that maybe it. Like that I can think of off the top of my head. He had a few, like there's some action movies with him. It just, it never really worked for him that way. And it's just, it's amazing because like you had this very charismatic, I don't know if you've ever watched old Magnum P.I., but like, very charismatic handsome guy like it, it just it's like it's almost 
it's almost bizarre that he didn't he didn't become a movie star. Almost bizarre. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, yeah, dude. Totally. Like you would think with that mustache alone would have gotten him to movie star fame. But exactly. It just wasn't wasn't the case. Exactly. So Michael J. Fox from the 1980s. And then this is someone uh, this is my Stranger Things drop um, where I feel like he's kind of on his way to becoming a modern Michael J. Fox in a, in a little bit different way. But Joe Keery is um, t- Joe Keery reminds me of Michael J. Fox in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Um, just the. The sort of the unassuming action hero that he kind of is, you know, he's you know, Joe Curie's not going to beat anybody up, but right. he, he can handle the sort of action stuff really well. Um, obviously, he's made a great name for himself um, on Stranger Things, but he's made an interesting jump into some into some movies. And I think I really do think that um, once Stranger Things ends, he's going to become a, a pretty big movie star as well. Oh, dude, he's not only does he have the hair for it, he definitely has he's got the charisma for it. And I remember um, the year two years or so before we moved out here, uh, Kurt and the Nerdbot crew had Joe Carey on um, their live stream from one of the conventions that they did. Mm-hmm. And he hung around and just talked with them for like the longest time. It, it wasn't just a five minute and done interview. Like he stuck around, he was commentary, hanging out with everybody and stuff. Of course, this all happened before I was uh, out in California, but yeah, but he's got something that um, whether you, you call it charm, charisma, presence, whatever it is, but that's, that's like a natural, like movie star right there yeah definitely. He, it, it just they they it feels like um especially you know they're not like you know neither well i think joe Carey's is definitely taller than michael j fox but like neither of them big guys but they have they just have this as the kids call it they have the big dick energy like they just have charisma that like exceeds everything like it, it, there's just an aura about them that is like super confident even though mm-hmm. they're even though like you wouldn't like I feel like I feel like I would have no problem beating up Steve Harrington in the 1980s, but <laughs> but like he just has charisma and has this energy to him that it's just like and Michael J. Fox had the same thing back in the 1980s. There's just something there that's really hard to define. Right, exactly. Like you may be able to beat them up, but you'd probably feel bad about it. Probably, probably be, like <laughs> right. a, a week later, be apologizing. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry for kicking your ass. You have great hair. <laughs> All right. So, uh, what song is the most 1980s? Okay, I have uh, Cindy Lauper's "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" from 1983. I cannot hear notes from that song and not be magically transported to the 1980s. Like that is just a uh, man. That is one that is going to stick around forever too, and it still is. Like in karaoke bars, even to this day, "Girls Just Want to Have Fun" is is a staple song primarily by bachelorette parties who are just trying to have fun. Mm-hmm. And my um, current song, which I feel is sort of in the same vein, especially like in terms of artists and level of hits is this Carly Ray Jespin, her call me maybe 2012 is the girls just want to have fun. Yeah. Reincarnated and everything. It's a, one of those songs with very catchy uh, hook. That is something um, that is used just in like general conversation. The, the phrase call me maybe was, used in our vernacular and stuff like that when when this came out and for a couple of years after um the song it came out in the same way girls just wanted to have fun moved its way into our vernacular so cindy lopper carly ray jepson those are my actual incurrence love it those are excellent choices this is one of those ones this is so wide open um mm-hmm. excellent choice i thought you know i actually thought about cindy lopper too but um i i went with um take on me aha um a song that I'd seemingly have never been able to escape. And it just has, 
it has all of the, the all of the trappings of 80s music that you think about, um, including a really awesome 1980s video um, yeah. where it's part, you know, it, it's the combination of like, you know, the the animation that looks like it's drawn with like the, the real time, you know, the the real anim, you know, the real um, I don't even know what the hell you call that blend of animation and, and uh, real footage or whatever. Um, very 1980s. Mm-hmm. And it's just one of those songs that like, boy, it gets it gets covered time and again by different bands throughout the years. Um, it's just, yeah, it, it's, it, it is one of those, I don't even know if it's that great of a song necessarily, but it's like, you know, it, it was it from 1985. Like, you know, that that's an 80 song. Even if you hear a cover of it, you know, that's an 80 song. Um, oh yeah. You can't escape that one, man. Yep. <laughs> that is a song you cannot escape. And then currently, like, again, I wanted to get away from like the weekend and some of the other stuff that we normally listen to. Um, and there's a song called let's love. It's by David Guetta and Saya or mm-hmm. is it Saya or Sia? I have always pronounced it Sia. Okay. Um, Sia or Sia or whatever. She probably, it's probably not even that either. Um, uh, it, it's, it's a very, you know, it has like the very, I think it's from last year or the year before. And it has like the very 1980s, um, that sort of pop music sound that was prevalent um, in the mid 80s. But like the the video is the most fucking fluorescent, neon, obnoxious music <laughs> video that you've seen since the 1980s. And it even has like some, it's like this like sort of like virtual reality thing and um it like it even has like it even has like a, a 1980s tech kind of feel to it like like a 1980s imaginary tech kind of feel to it um oh, oh yeah i'm looking at this right now it looks like vice city all over again yeah, yeah. It, it's 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 pretty bizarre song's not terrible um but it it like it's it is a it is both a um an ear and eye um, you know, an ear and eye fest straight out of the 1980s. If you watch that video, so uh, let's love by David Guetta and Sia. Nice, yeah, that's a good. Yeah, believe me, I am looking at that, and that is more 1980s than the actual 80s themselves. My God, look, we even had the red uh, Letterman's jacket type thing with the mm-hmm. white sleeves or red vest with white sleeves. Yeah, that's 80s all the way. It's it's almost like it's a scene out of Kung Fury. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly yeah. That, <laughs> Vice City or Kung Fury. That's yeah. exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> All right. And what world event best describes the 1980s? Okay. So um, I have, God, man, this one was a tough one because there are just so many of them. I went with the Berlin Wall coming down. It's by far and away one of the most important events that took place in the 1980s. This um, solidified the fall of the Soviet Union. This solidified the end of communism and thus solidified us as the world's premier superpower just like we had discussed yep i i went with it as well um you you literally um at that point in time it was almost we we're almost at the end of the 80s um it was mm-hmm. november 1989 um and if, and was it november 9th 1989 i believe because i feel like i feel yes. like, i feel like november 9th is a repeating is a repeating day in german history like every 30 to 40 years something happens on November 9th, like that's like world changing in Germany. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, same thing. Fall of Berlin wall. It just, it, 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 the end of the, the end of the cold war, the fall of the Soviet union and really sort of, as I mentioned before, like I feel like the 1980s is sort of like the first step of like the modern world, the modern Mm -hmm. world then begins in 1990 on. Right. That's a really good point. Yes. You bet. This whole thing down, this is, the start of the modern world as we, as, and you can, you can't start it without having something, um, end. Yep. And this was the end of a major 
era of history. Yes, yeah. you bet. All right, and how about uh, some recent event that is the most okay. 1980s event? So this would be almost the inverse of a wall coming down, and this would be in like 2018 where we actually thought building a wall at the border would be a great idea. And this right here, I feel, is also something out of a 1980s movie. And I can almost see like something like Escape from New York, but it's like Escape from the United States. And the opening image is just like either a time lapse of the wall being built or just this like graffiti to death, like border wall and stuff. And the idea of the border wall in general just seems like it's taken right out of a fucking 1980s movie. And um, that is definitely what I went with the inverse of a wall coming down. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, you, I, I, you haven't seen into the badlands, correct? TV show. Uh, no, I have not. So there's, um, so you get like a, you don't really get like an exact idea of where it, it's in the United States, but it's like it's in the U.S. in like the year like twenty five hundred something. Mm-hmm. Um, but they don't give you like an exact location. Uh, but like at the beginning of season two, um, they're they you're you're probably in Arizona at the beginning of season two because like they get marched past this fucking like eight hundred foot wall that is that is separating the United States and Mexico, and mm-hmm. it's it just has like this. It, it very purposely looks like a gig- it it looks like a gigantic Berlin Wall, like yeah. It, it, and like it, clearly that was like on purpose. Um, when they, you know what I mean, like that was like a very yeah. intentional choice for what they made it look like. But it looks like an eight hundred foot Berlin Wall, basically. Of course, of course. And uh, dude, I was just I, this just came up about the November 9th deadline or the November ninth date. Mm. There is so it's like um they call it a sticks. Stickselstag, German for Day of Fate. And you're right, there has been some crazy shit that has all taken place on November 9th um, in German history. It's, I, I want to say amazing. they surrendered in World War One on November 9th. Um, uh, and then, yes. And then William, not, yeah. not so, not, not so like surprisingly, they essentially declare war on November 9th then in World War Two. That's correct. Yeah. In 1938, it was the Kristallnacht on November 9th. You're right. Wilhelm II was dethroned on November 9th in 1918. Um, Even like fucking there was an execution in 1848 after some Vienna revolution, like a rebellions and stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, Jesus Christ. Like what a what a really interesting factoid there. I all for all of it to run from the, the same day is crazy. Yeah. Well, you know, the Germans, they don't, they don't, they're very orderly. They probably had a lot of paperwork on it and they're just yeah, like, well, they, you know, this calendar said we should probably do this that now. So. Right. That's right. I can only imagine what they have planned for this year. I know. Um, <laughs> all right. So uh, I, this, this one is, we'll actually go back to something I mentioned from 1986. Uh, Russia potentially causing a nuclear disaster in the Ukraine. Um, we're mm-hmm. on the precipice of another nuclear plant exploding in the Ukraine causing right. who knows who knows how many deaths and how much damage um, for who knows how many decades to come. Um, the Chernobyl explosion, um, you still can't go to Pripyat. It's like it's if you get too close, you will you will die. Um, yeah. you know, obviously not right away, but you will you will get such a massive dose of radiation. You will in- inevitably develop cancer and tumors and die. And we're on the verge of repeating this all over again. Yeah, that is totally true. Yeah, Jesus Christ. That's been like one of the more recent developments in the war. Like, uh, um, aside from the fact that Ukraine's got a little bit of their mojo back. But yeah, this 
what's going on with this power plant and everything. And it just seems like we're being set up for almost like a Chernobyl too. And especially if the Russia continues to attack sloppily and run their sloppy as hell mm-hmm. military campaigns, some real crazy shit could go down here with this. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Let's, uh, let's hope not, but, um, it doesn't look great right now, but we'll see. Um, let's just hope not that I, I mean, what is, I don't. I don't. I, we should get into this, but I was going to say, what does Russia even gain if that if that nuclear power plant melts down? I mean, there's nothing to then capture for a very large area of the of the country you're trying to capture. Right. That, that that's exactly right. Yeah. There's there's a lot of questions as far as like what Russia seems to gain out of this that are just like. It's just kind of like, what the fuck? Even in just in general with the war and stuff, it's like, yeah, you guys got Ukraine back, BFD. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, there's just, it just doesn't seem like there's really anything in it for them other than, hey, we got some land. Land. Ridiculous. It's ridiculous. All right. So let's wrap this up here real quickly. So we are, um, next episode, we're going to do our cinema dissection, but we're going to do a little bit differently. We're not necessarily going to be looking for a perfect movie um, like we do when we do our semi dissection episodes, we're gonna be looking for like the movie that encapsulates what we think encapsulates the best qualities of the 1980s. And obviously, we'll get into those details a little bit more when we actually do the episode. Um, so, you know, to that end, Chema, what is your what is your candidate for our cinema dissection 1980s style? Uh, what is your what is your candidate? What movie do you think was best gonna encapsulate the qualities of the 1980s? Oh, I just got it on DVD. It's going to be The Running Man. I am Ooh, very nice. excited. Any, yeah, I'm. I watched it not that long ago. I've had it on DVD. I any opportunity to watch it again. Uh, just I got you know like some personal connections to the movie, all that stuff. We'll share briefly when we do the episode. But it's a uh, it's a fucking great one. It really is. I am. Not, oh man, I'm so fucking pumped. <laughs> That's good. This because this is going to be an awesome double feature now. Um, Love the Running Man. I haven't, I haven't seen it in a while, um, and I'm, I am now really excited to revisit. That's, that's one of the Arnold movies that I don't seem to catch, um, that often on cable. Yeah, that's a good. You know something? Any time that I've seen it, I don't even know if I've ever seen it on television. I, I've either seen it rented, like when when I was a kid, or. Or owning it, like when, like I do now, or on the streaming services or whatever. But yeah, I, God damn, yeah, I don't know if I've ever seen it on television. Like you see, you see Predator all the time on television, yeah. like TBS or TNT. You see mm-hmm. True Lies quite frequently. Um, yeah, Total Recall was Total one Recall. I remember seeing a lot on television and stuff. Yeah, I do not see Running Man very frequently. I guess it's pretty brutal. Like it's, it's actually a pretty brutal movie. Yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Especially when you get into some of the uh, the fights between Arnold and the stalkers and stuff. Mm-hmm. Like fucking uh, the first Sub Zero gets strangled with razor wire. It's the right, first yeah. kill in the movie. That's so right. yeah, there's a there's a lot of like there, there's a lot of brutality in that movie. But it's '80s brutality. It's not um you know it's not '90s brutality where you'd actually see a decapitated head and blood right. and the spine coming out of it and everything. It's done just right. Right, exactly, exactly. All right, excellent choice, The Running Man. Uh, and Chema, I'm going with, I'm going with, um, since since they are back in the fold as our as our movie villains. Let's why don't we revisit a movie with them as the villains? And I'm talking 1984's Red Dawn, baby. Um, nice. Also, we're young, super young Patrick Swayze, super young Charlie Sheen, see Thomas Howell, Leah yep. Thompson. Um, who who else am I missing in this? Jennifer Grey. 
Um, Anthony Edwards in this movie too? The dude from ER? No, different movie. Different movie. movie. Sorry. Yeah. Fucking stacked cast. Um, we got the Russians invading Michigan, um, which is okay. Whatever. Also has one of the best movie posters of all time. I don't know if you've ever seen yep. it before. Oh, um, I, I have. Yeah. One of the greatest movie posters of all time. I'm I I haven't seen this movie in quite a while. I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Oh yeah, that's God. That's a great selection. It's one that. I will be honest with you. I am so far removed from it. It's almost going to be like a fresh watch for me, which I'm very excited about because they, they did the new Beverly had this movie within the last like three months. But, um, I, I think, I think it was in July when, cause my mom, we saw Indiana Jones up there in July. And then I went back in August to see a very, very awesome screening of two prints put together of John Carpenter's dark star, which was an awesome experience to see in the theater. So like, I'm pretty positive that they showed red Dawn recently, but I opted for one of those two movies instead of going to that one. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, we're going to cover it here and it should be a lot of fun. And I'm already, I'm not shocked that we both picked an action movie. Oh, dude, this is like, I'm telling you, 80s in action movies, that's like, that's like their fucking thing and stuff like that. It's like mm-hmm. Amsterdam, hot people and weed. Like, it's just their thing. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. Uh, do you want to lead us out of here? Yeah, you bet, dude. I definitely will. So everybody out there, thank you very much for tuning into the opening installment of our month in the 80s. This is Adam Chemilewski and Matthew Pagel for The Occasionalist. We will see you next time. Thank you so much.